than using the good dinner place in cutlery. It's the Vocal Minority Podcast. Is that why we're being served steak and four tater tots? You got four tater tots? Jesus. Mark, I told you that's not fair. You can never keep a secret, honestly. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Vocal Minority Podcast, the podcast that knows you love listening to just our dulcet tones, but sometimes, sometimes we like to mix it up a little. And that means this week's show doesn't hit all of our usual topics and most of the current happenings. Well, we're going to ignore that until next week. Instead, this week, we are excited to be joined by a very special guest, Villa fan, formation geek, and mainstay of Canadian soccer broadcasting and analysis, Mr. Christian Jack. We're going to talk about a lot of things, so settle in and let's get to it. I am joined by the usual entire vocal minority crew. So here, as always, Mr. Duncan Fletcher. Hello. Uh, It is Mr. Mark Hinckley. What up? Say hello to Tony Walsh. I'm wearing a shirt and everything. Wow. You're you're tortured. I know I can yes, hear it. I know you poor thing. Mm. Suffering for your art. Um, our very special guest, Mr. Jack. Hello, everybody. Great to be on with you guys. Thank you. And of course, I am your host, Kristen Knowles. So let's get to it. Once again, thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, We're really looking forward to just sort of picking your brain and having a good chat. And likewise, sort of general questions to ease you into ease you into the whole thing. And (laughs) does that mean later it's going to get harder? Is that what you're telling me? Maybe a lot of of hard hitting questions coming at the end. Oh yes, okay. Looking forward to it. Put on your put on your hard hitting journalism hat and uh, get ready. Let's do it. Um, but what we really want to know, and I'm sure you've answered this in other interviews, but we're just sort of curious uh, because we, not sports broadcasters, but, you know, we're sports podcasters. Um, why did you get into sports broadcasting? Like, was there, I know you come from a journalism background, like you were doing sports journalism, but was there a broadcasting moment that you said, wow, this is what I want to do instead. This is what I want to transition into. Kristen, there really wasn't. No, um, you're right. So obviously I was a writer first. So my journalism background was obviously as a graduate from the University of Central Lancashire, worked in newspaper journalism for, you know, about three and a half years, mainly in news for the first year, um, which I always tell people was almost killed all of my aspirations of working in media because I'm just not a news guy. I don't watch the news. It depresses me. And, uh, you know, going through obituaries and trying to get your editor to go and knock on doors and find out why certain family members got killed or died. It wasn't necessarily my uh, glamorous world that I imagined that media would be. So within 11 months, I did what I could to get out of it to get into sports, which thankfully I did. Uh, I guess the, the, the answer to your question would be when I came here to Canada, because I did come here without any kind of job aspirations or any kind of promises from anybody and did what I could to find out how I could get in the industry. 
and uh, the, the, my big my biggest opportunity came at the score where I got my internship there uh, at the score television network uh, so you know, I went in there still thinking and believing that I would do a lot of writing, to be honest with you. Like that was what I was brought in for, writing scripts, writing features, cutting things as well. And, and you know, I did a lot of that, you know, with James, for James, together with James as well on, on Sports World. And then um, eventually the Sports World kind of morphed into the footy show and then producing that and did a little bit more things on air. So I didn't, I didn't really have that moment where I was like, this is for me. It just kind of always found me really rather than me, me, me seeking it. What would you say is the, the biggest difference that you've noticed between working in Canada versus working in England? It's a really good question. You know um, it's been a long time. I just, I've, I think it's just over 21 years this month. That I've been in Canada now. So uh, I, you know, it's a long way back, you know, that's, it's basically, you could almost draw a line right between my life, half there, half here. It's that's where I'm at now. So um, you know, the age of, uh, of zero to 21 in England, 21 to 42 here. So uh, you know, when I was younger, then there was a lot more, uh, I guess you're seeing things through more of an inexperienced mind and an inexperienced lens, you know, working in England in the newspaper industry was, was extremely, extremely cutthroat. And it was very, it was a lot of pressure to get the newspaper stories to hit the, hit the deadlines. Uh, and I suppose as I'm talking to you, Mark, I'm kind of reflecting and remembering that when I went to the score and it was live television and I'm working, you know, doing script writing or producing, and it's literally live and that's more instantaneous than anything, even in a newspaper industry where you've got to hit a deadline in an hour or two, I, I expected it to be, that way and i had that kind of mindset going in and it was the opposite which was wonderful to me it was it fitted my personality a lot more it was a lot more laid back emphasis on being professional and doing your work but um there wasn't that kind of cutthroatness and the, and, and a lot of pressure right away that they just believed in each other to do the job and um obviously there's, there's quite a lot of social media posts this week reminiscing about that time at the score television network because of what's happening with tim and sid uh this week with their shows coming to a close so uh i think it's all kind of in the forefront of our mind right now about what just what a magical time it was and uh it, i was fortunate to be there for a decade did you find that the um the atmosphere between from working at the score and then onward, was there was there a drastic change between the two or between that and TSN? You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, no doubt, no doubt about it. Um, uh, yeah, the best way to describe the score was was basically almost like um, a university. You know, it was like that kind of atmosphere. You know, everybody got the job done when you needed to. Everybody sat down and worked hard like you would be in the classroom when you needed to be. Um, but then you, everybody was young. Everybody was there for each other. The camaraderie was there. You saw everybody every day. Uh, and TSN's a much, a, big, a much bigger company. So, you know, when I moved over to TSN, you know, we were put on a very smaller, I was in a very smaller team, TSN soccer, where you work, you know, independently with the same people almost on a daily basis. And some people are working on other, other things as well. Uh, so, yeah, that kind of being part of a large group together was, was definitely something that, uh, you, you know, you can't replicate anywhere else. And we all knew that, by the way. We all knew that when we wrote and we to each other and we spoke about it and we departed. I remember Tim McAuliffe talking about that and still does that today. And there's nothing wrong with what we're all doing now and moving forward, but that, that was just something that was extremely unique in the Canadian media landscape. Definitely was. Kristen, do you think uh, people who are fans of uh, what you guys did at SCORE sometimes 
maybe misunderstand how different it is working for TSN. Like if they expected a lot of the same kind of stuff to have moved with you. Yeah, it's a good question, Tony. I mean, I suppose I should ask you guys that more than me. I mean, obviously when we were at the score, we had some properties that we tried to deliver uh, in a professional way, but you take the tie off and you kind of, you know, we were, you know, Sometimes, you know, James and I were sitting there on the couch, you know, Nike Air Max is, you know, doing Serie A or Premier League games, you know what I mean? And it's like, and I think there were, we were relatable to some. And, and then obviously at TSN, you have the desk, you have the shirts and the ties, you have that, um, that different way of, of putting it across. I tried to never really change the way that we talk about the game or try and relate to people, but I guess that you didn't have as much freedom to have a little bit more fun. You know, what do you, I mean, what do you think? You guys all, I don't know your backgrounds, but I'm sure it sounds like you guys were watching the score too, right? I will, I will be yeah. the first. The score to was admit, better. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit <laughs> that, that, that in that, I guess you could say that the apex of, of, of sports television was when the score was rolling and they had the premier league and, there was there was a good chunk devoted to to, to to football, which is something I've always wanted. And the personalities, and like you said, the tie was off, but everybody still got the job done. Like I, there were times that that channel would just stay on for hours, and I, and I like I love sports, but I don't love sports. Right. But that channel just drew me in, and everybody was just brilliant on it. <laughs> so like it's fascinating to get a peek behind that curtain. How many years later? But it's also good to know that. The, the impression, the vibe, the, the presentation that you guys were giving off was pretty close to what you would expect. You know, yeah. they were doing their job, but really enjoying what they were doing. Yeah, and, you know, this is not just me, by the way. There's so many other people there that was really young and quite impressionable. Um, you know, so many people worked so many hours for very little money and they, and that was okay. You know, they just put everyone and they had so much passion and love for this, for the industry. Um, it's a delight to me that so many other people have gone on and, and, and worked for bigger and better things. And uh, I say better being obviously being the operative word, but um, you know, whether it was better than that, but obviously bigger things for them. Well, I think that's one of the things that everyone sort of echo what Mark said, everyone really appreciated about like the footy show is that, yeah, it was very casual seeming in its approach, but you guys also knew your stuff and you were also clearly enjoying yourselves. Mm. And that speaks to a huge range of, of fans, right? Like we, we, we watched you constantly and, you know, similar, similar in age as well. Right. So it was like watching our friends talking about, about the sport. And so you could really just sit there and watch games and watch the commentary and feel like this was someone you could have a conversation with. And I think that was part of the the genius of the show and which when it ended, like there was some serious, you know, we still, we obviously, we still talk about it. It didn't really end that long ago. Like it seems like, it seems like forever ago and it is, it's, it's a number of years, but it's also not that far in the past. And so yeah. sometimes the transition, um, uh, to a different format, you know, uh, for you going to TSN and having to be, yeah, more formal, more buttoned down, more, um, you know, in line with a bigger corporation even. So that's, that's different. So the, the, the enjoyment is still there because again, you still have people that know what they're doing, but it is different. It's not the same 
it's not the same vibe, I guess, is the way of putting it. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more we distance ourselves from it in terms of time, and you alluded to it, I think April 2013 was the last footy show. Um, In fact, I never forget my final word on the last footy show I ever did was Villa because um, we, we'd uh, a little peek behind the scenes, but we'd, we'd only found out the day of our last show that it was going to be our last show and that we were going to be end. And we actually used to, because of studio requirements, we used to tape on a Monday show. We used to tape during the afternoon, but then we would always have the first block coming out of Monday night football on the premier league and Villa played Sunderland. Uh, you can go and look it up. And I think Villa won six one. And that was kind of like, we would go back in the studio later to recap that. And that would be like our opening block that we would tape. I think the show would air about five thirty. We would tape it literally at like five o'clock and that would be like, okay, six or seven minute opening block would already be put away and we'd done everything else. So it would just, so that was the last thing that we ever talked about was that day. Uh, and, and at the time, you know, you're always working and you don't, I think now more than ever, particularly with social media and the connections that we have with fans in Canada, we didn't necessarily have it then. It was the periphery of it. It was the beginning of it more so. And it, and we didn't know back then how, just how many people enjoyed it. We were constantly told, oh, the ratings are not that great. Soccer, and then and people who want soccer, people would want to put soccer down anyway. You guys don't need me to tell you that. And so we never really knew what that would be like. We never really knew what it would, what the connections would be. And I think, of course, going to TSN, getting the major rights, talking to people about World Cups and Euros and having quite literally millions of people watch some of our broadcasts, you're generating far more eyeballs. But what are who are those eyeballs? It's, you know, when I speak to people like you guys, the, they're the core fans of this of this country when it comes to soccer, and they were always dedicated footy show fans, from what I'm hearing. And that's that's what James and I and Brendan and I were talking about this on the phone a couple of weeks ago. How so many people still talk to him about about the footy show, and um, it's just it's just really it's just really nice. It's just really special, guys, that that so many people really enjoyed it. And um, when I went to TSN, I know I may have told this story before, but. I went, my first ever game broadcast was with Luke in Vancouver. And uh, it was quite a big deal for me because I was doing a game and obviously in a, in, a, in a position that players do it, right? Former players always talk and do those games. Occasionally I would do it if somebody else couldn't do it, as you know. But when you hear a commentary, it's, it's Stephen and, and Luke, isn't it? It's Luke and, and Jason or it's different people. It's always the ex-player. But I was put in that position just for a couple of times and... I never forget the producer that I worked with at the time didn't know my background and we were walking out of BC place at the end of the day. And it was, it was quite weird, but like these guys all drove past and kind of stopped the car and they were like, KJ, footy show, footy show. And it was just like, <laughs> and the producer just looked at me as like, I guess you worked on the show, right? this show that they liked. So I guess, I guess it did. And like Luke was like loving it. And I was just like, uh, it's nice to see some footy show fans out here. And just, you know, even though I was there in my tie now working for TSN, it's, uh, it, it, it will always be our first team that we played for. Like you planted those guys. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was like that, actually. Yeah, it was like, I was like, those guys have no idea how, what a big impact they had on my career because after that, I could have been done, you know? <laughs> so whoever they were, I'm forever grateful. I think for a lot of people like our age and our generation, at least, um, it was such a sea change from what we'd had before. 
myself moved from England as a boy, you know, and, and in the eighties, it was like, follow your, your club in the newspaper once right. a week, you got the results in a, in a tiny little back page thing. And, and this kind of goes for Mark and Kristen as well. Um, uh, from a different perspective, but trying to follow the sport and, and not having grown up in England at least. And, um, and then it went to, you know, you had TSN's one show soccer Saturday with Graham Leggett and, it, for us, it was great because it was the only thing and you got to see a match sometimes same day. It ended up being a couple, you know, highlights would end up being a couple of weeks later. And then, and then we, it was kind of a desert profile. Like it did, it kind of fell off. And, you know, for those who love the sport, it was other than world cups, it was, right. you know, it was feast of famine really. So, so I think when, when you guys came along, it was such a, like I said, such a sea change for people to have people not only getting highlights, but people want sitting around talking about the sport. Right. And so I think that maybe that's, you know, that's why you get like people feel that kind of ownership of. That's of good. It. Oh, I love it. That's nice yeah. to hear. It really is. Honestly, yeah. it's heartwarming to talk about. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit uh, going into uh, TSN from there. Cause that offered, as you mentioned before, some, different opportunities different rights different access to other things and we wanted to talk about uh your interviewing and two in particular that came out of your career at tsn and that's two two men with uh arguably the world's maybe two biggest egos we're talking about zlatan ibrahimovic and then different from football but no Gallagher. yes of course right <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to to ask uh, when when you know you're gonna talk to people whose ego precedes them mm. You know, their reputation precedes them on, on, you know, everyone, you know, so millions of people know who they are, what they're about. How do you, do you uh, come in with a bit of nerves of what you're about to face with ego or are you just going to, you kind of take it as, as it comes like you would any interview? Uh, yeah. And first of all, uh, I don't know whether it's, a, um, you know, God, God blessed with me with something, but nerves just don't exist for me. So I never had any nerves with them, but I do do an I do had a lot of things in the forefront of my mind that it becomes a dominant thing for me for many days before. Uh, the Zlatan one was very different from the Noel Gallagher one, um, because, but you're right to pair them together because they are very similar personalities. <laughs> Tony, Tony, you're right with that. Um, the Noel Gallagher one was live. So uh, the Noel Gallagher one was set up. Um, a friend of mine at TSN who worked in PR, Rob, knew uh, the connections with Sony and I kind of knew connections with Sony. And there was a chance of getting Noel Gallagher on the show. And initially the plan was to uh, just do what we call in the industry a live double ender. So Jason, Luke and I would be, sorry, it was, yeah, Jason, Luke and I at the time would be on the desk and Noel Gallagher would be with our cameraman with an earpiece and we would just, feed him questions and it was my idea actually at the time to suggest it didn't have to be me but i said you can't do that you got to send somebody down there to have a presence with him because you just no idea what you're going to get from him so they came up with the idea that luke and jason would host the monday night premier league game in the studio and i was live with noel gallagher now initially i was sent there and i thought okay well it's going to be live but as we would call it in the industry fake live Little did I know, no, it was going to be live. And I look back and I'm like, what on earth were we thinking? What, <laughs> what are we doing an interview with Noel Gallagher for live? So then the executive producer tells me as I'm going to the thing, he goes, you have to tell him not to swear. <laughs> Uh, 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 excuse me uh, you have to tell him it's live and you can, and he cannot swear. 
So instantly, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, I'm not. Te- I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. I put the phone down. I'm, like, I'm not telling him. If I tell No Gallagher not to swear, what do you think No Gallagher's going to do? <laughs> Double down. Yeah. Oh, come on! Of course. So eventually, he comes down, and you're not sure whether he's going to come down with this big entourage or whatever. And it's he's coming down on his own. We're chatting away. Just, I mean, we're both from the same similar area in England. Obviously, um, he's from Manchester. I'm from Preston. A couple of Northwest lads. He's asking me about my background. And first of all, he goes, "I suppose you're a United fan." Oh, yeah. He finds out that I'm not, and that kind of warms up right away. And then we're just kind of chatting away. And so, to answer your question, with both him and Zlatan, you have to find a way to try and make it unique. I don't want them to ask. I don't want to ask questions. If you start asking questions of somebody. And they start saying, oh, yeah, I've been asked this loads of times. Your heart just sinks as an interviewer. You're like, oh, great. I don't want that. I don't want them on autopilot. So the good thing about Noel was it was just strictly an interview only about football. It was about City. It was about the game going on right now, all the problems, predictions, all that stuff. And as you guys know or remember, um, as astute as they come, knew everything about the game, had stories where he was when he watched it, even though I don't know how many pints or how high he was when he was doing it uh, <laughs> or, or whatever games we were watching, he remembered his recall was terrific. Um, I explained to him, I, w- I didn't say don't swear. I just said we're live on uh, Canadian national television. And so that was all I think that we needed. And I think, I don't think this, I know this because the moment it was all wrapped up, he had to do one more thing, which was a fake live double ender with Michael Landsberg on off the record. And at that point they said, okay, you're going to do a pre-recorded interview with a Canadian host. And after that, I just looked behind and it was all done and you name it, the swear words was coming out. It was like, everything you every sentence <laughs> so i was just like all right he knew for me i was live and then eventually he just get it all out there for, for everybody else because they can just bleep it out because it wasn't live so i was ever a true a true professional and it went it went terrific and, and this latin one um i can honestly probably tell you that i prepared for it more than any interview i've ever prepared for in my life uh watched as many as interviews as i can as many features as i can and uh, tried to make it unique and different. And um, we did a little bit of quiz uh, at the end of it on his career because I know Zlatan likes talking about Zlatan. So if, uh, you know, you can make that a little bit about that as well, then uh, that's certainly what I did and just tried to make it fun. And that's what we did. Cool. So first question, why would Noel not presume that you're a Preston North End fan? Well, he could have, because I did say I was from Preston, but I think uh-huh. he understand. I think he understands, as I know this, having lived there for twenty years, that you get a lot of uh, bandwagon jumpers. So even a lot of Preston North End fans are Man United fans, and can uh-huh. also subsequently Liverpool fans as well, because of what happened, obviously, in the eighties when I went to school in England. It was uh, probably sixty percent Liverpool, thirty uh, percent Man United, and then the rest Everton and. Every, you know, a couple of Man City here or there and everybody else. Yeah, yeah. I, I did the whole support Liverpool thing when I was a kid because they were top of the league. But yeah, eventually I settled on Darlington. So <laughs> I feel better about that. Um, so, so going back to like the score though, and you mentioned obviously TSN is very different. Back at the score, I mean, you were very known for the, the, the research that you do and there's a lot of binders that you have when you're doing the Zoom calls, that sort of thing, you're like the formation geek. I think TSM is a bit of a different... Do you miss being the formation geek? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose so, a little bit. I, I mean, TSM, we had the gadgets, I suppose, that we could do the stuff and all the drawing and everything at halftime and, and that as well. We just didn't really have the time to put together those programs as much as possible. You know, you're always, you know... 
you have to remember the majority of my TSM broadcasts were always around games. So you're always conscious about time and two minutes here, three minutes there, two and a half, don't go more than four, whatever. And the majority of my broadcasts at the score weren't like that. Of course, you get a half an hour footy show time, but you know, you, you have so much you can do within that window and you can produce a segment that can last nine minutes if you really want or three minutes. So uh, that freedom was really nice. And I think that's what allowed the, the conversations to flow a little bit more back to, 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 to the points that you guys made earlier about connecting. And as Tony said, just having people sit around and talk about the games a little bit more um, in that casual way, there wasn't so much of a restriction on time uh, as much as there is obviously with, with a national broadcast when you most of the games, the most of the work that we do it is strictly around games. Fair enough. And with regards to Formation Geek, what's your favourite formation? Like if you were coach of a team for one game, you've got to set them up in one way. You don't really know what the opposition's going to do. So it's just about exactly what you want. What's your favourite formation to put a team in? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that's a really good question. I think... <laughs> I think it's probably a format of 4-3-3, depending on however you want to look at it. I think that's probably the best way to go about it. You know, that that I think more profile of players fit into those than anybody else. Not a fan anymore. I haven't been for a long time of playing two direct strikers, even though it does work for others. You know, if I do a Premier League show on a Monday night on Sirius and one of our favorites is Sean Dyche that we play clips all the time and he's just a genius and he's done brilliant for Burnley and they play 4-4-2 and you play the same way every week and no one would ever criticize that. So, uh, but I think if for me, I always, I love midfielders. I've always loved midfielders and if midfield can dominate a game, that's what I want. So I think in a four Four three three. I don't even need to play number ten. I can play three midfielders that have a little bit of everything and control games. Um, you know, hybrids of eights and sixes and and a few tens as well in there. Um, so the more central midfielders, I kind of subscribe to the theory of Pep Guardiola, where if you could literally play eleven central midfielders, I think you'd beat anybody. Fair enough. So zero eleven zero. Is, yeah, is that's really, right. It's really the dream. That's yeah. what we found out, really, isn't it? Forget all the other stuff. Zero, ten, zero. Zero, zero, ten, zero, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Cool. All right, I'm here for that. the revolution. I'll, I'll, I'll watch that. Yeah, I think see what happens. You got like, one I'm shot. Defender, but I'll, I'll buy into this. That's okay. I, I, could, I could be swayed. Um, and that sort of kind of leads into something that I really wanted to ask you about. Um, so other than watching you on the score, and that was sort of my, my introduction to you, um, I also have attended a number of your charity football tournaments and, uh, you know, have had, you know, it's very much, it's a lot of fun to watch a variety of people from the, from the sports media, but also local soccer world just sort of come together and be silly and, but still try to beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. But all in the name of something, something good, and so you've been doing that now for was it nine years? Uh, I think I did eleven, but it's kind of on hold, right? Because I haven't of done course. it for almost two. So yeah, but yeah, so maybe ten, maybe eleven, something like that. I I, I didn't count, but yeah. So how did about that. how did it all come about though? Like, what did you just sort of be like? You know what? Everyone does tournaments for this, and I want to. My friends and I, you know, the guys I hang out with at the score, we all play footy on the weekends, or. Yeah, it actually came about, I remember one time many years ago, I was on a treadmill and I was just thinking about things and 
I actually thought just strictly about the people at the score at the time. And, you know, it's funny, we've just all reflected about what wonderful positive energy it was and how much fun we used to have. But I, dem- I remember thinking at the time, it would be just great to have a day where we could just all go out and, have, and play football. You know, I just Let's all just have a day where we can just leave and get out and find a window. And we all know the station needs people to look after it. But I used to think, we used to have these epic Christmas parties at the score and they were epic. And you used to have like only like two or three people working at the score that night. I'm like, okay, so how many people can we do? How, how little amount of people can we leave at the station during a day? And that's how it started. It started on a Friday at 11 AM. And the very first one, I think there was about 45 of us all from the score that that was it. And it was about, you know, I got Umbro Canada involved right away and it was okay let's go out and have a kickabout and just raise a bit of money and that's what it was and i think the first year i did it for world vision i think and then um it kind of as ever because we were a communication company and media things these kind of things start talking so then you reference points come up you start talking about it on the show you start talking about on podcasts people want to know more and then suddenly the next year it gets bigger and you start inviting people out from 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 the communities and then people from other stations come out in other areas and we had you know john molinaro and michael grange and other so many other people and then the score got bigger and uh yeah so it just became more and more and then you know i got to know adrian bradbury who's a canadian in toronto is a wonderful man has done so much work in uganda and the gulu walks and stuff for gulu united and um, yeah, it's the one shirt I have actually signed in my, in my, uh, in my, in my office, I have a signed shirt from Uganda, but it's not of Ugandan professional players. It's all from the kids, uh, for all the work that we did for them. And that's, um, over there. So that's basically how it came about. It was just a, a, a fun day where Umbro Canada used to get involved and, um, just have so many people come out and, you know, win some prizes, some backpacks or some umbro yeah. tops. And yeah, go. And it was just, and obviously you've been as well, Kristen. It's just, just yeah, I should, have, I should have brought my Ghoulie United scarf out. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's just a, a it's a beautiful room. scarf. It I've got it in my, I've got it in my basement. Yeah. It's just a pleasure to, it was just a pleasure to see so many people and smiling faces. It was very often in the winter when it was a bit gloomy. And I, and I did many of them before Christmas, uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas time yeah. as well. And then a few times it, it kind of, depending on that. And we did a lot of them. The first one was at the first ever one was a, a BMO field, I think, uh, when it was plastic pitch. Uh, so, um, and then we did obviously most of them, um, in Toronto. Uh, so yeah. Um, and then we did a couple of them at TFC's training ground as well. They got involved in the last couple of years as well, which was terrific. And, um, yeah, it's just, it was great. It was great to contribute, to help out. And uh, I just can't wait to get to a world where we can do it again. Definitely. Yeah. I've got, I've got pictures somewhere under the bubble at Lamport. And- yeah. Lamport was the one where we yeah. did it most. Yeah. I yeah, can, exactly. uh, I can remember showing up early many a years carrying 15 boxes of kits and balls and yeah, you name it. It Max was, uh, and- yeah. My little kids would come and along the- at the time yeah. and yeah, it was, uh, that too. yeah, yeah it, it was fun. good. Yeah, and Jenny would come down with her baking goods and stuff. Yes, that was always good. Is Jenny here yet? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a fam- um, family affair, just getting all the whole community yeah. involved. Yeah. And it was good. It was, you know, like in the transition from World Vision and your other charities to uh, Ghoulie United and then Football for Good. That that always seemed pretty seamless, and and also made a lot of sense for the for the footballing world. So yes, um, and and for the fans who were who were involved and wanted to support and everything like that so it was a really always a very nice mix of people's passions and people's desire to contribute to a community at least that's how i felt 
I felt the same. And so many people had so much fun. And uh, thankfully, through 10 or 11 years, I think probably only two or three, what I would consider major injuries. Because <laughs> uh, that's what you always worry about. Because it's like, all right, we're, you know, we're no big company. We're not getting insurance companies, you know, cover everybody's talents because there ain't any. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, there wasn't that, but there was a few significant injuries. But other than that, um, you're right. So many people had so much fun and they didn't even think about the, the money that they, they, they would have paid the money to that they had to pay to play anyway, just to cover the cost. And I did so much work where they didn't even realize that the money was going to these places, you know, and that's what was so great about it. That, that, but thankfully, as you said, Chris, that it was involved in the sport and that was important to me. It was, it was about kids and it was about soccer and that was relatable for me to try and help people that needed it. transition now a little bit so we've talked about this a lot already and you you've mentioned it you know you're someone who's been part of uh canadian soccer media for a really long time uh part of the you know canadian soccer media landscape and given what's been happening over the last you know let's say five years we'll 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 we'll, we'll peg it at five years uh the shrinking of the canadian soccer media landscape mm. and just kind of what, not so much what you what you feel about it. We've got a lot of different questions about various aspects of it. So we're gonna start off, I'm gonna send this over to Duncan um, with the, the first question for this. Right, uh, so first of all, welcome to the Just Fired from Bell Club. Uh, I've been here about five months now myself. It's delightful. Sorry to um, hear that. <laughs> thanks. Um, I, they obviously went on a bit of a rampage with their like media uh, properties recently, and it seems going on Twitter is a lot of a surprise to a lot of people. Now that the shock's worn off a bit, how do you feel about like, how that happened and what the future looks like for you? Oh, I don't have a crystal ball, so uh, I'm not sure about the future. Uh, I know that from within my passion is still very, very high for the sport and uh, for the things in this country in particular. I said earlier that I work on the Premier League coverage on Sirius and, you know, you talk about my binders. Yes, I have a Premier League season binder this year and I still work on that and watch the games. Um, but I think I just I differentiate from that a little bit just because I think Canada soccer um, major league soccer in particular are ones that I really want to push forward in this country. And um, I don't think that that journey's over for me. I'm not sure. We'll see. I know there's got, it's still very new and um, very fresh. So we'll have to find out what's next for me. I don't know that yet. Um, there's a number of avenues hopefully that will open up, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. But I still think those, uh, those stories need to be told. And I still think there's a lot of work to do on building that forward. And uh, in particular with major league soccer, you know, we spent a lot of time over the last while here talking about, about my journey, but I know all of you here love that league and 
you know, I've just, I covered the league from day one in Toronto when I was at the score. Uh, but it was truly when I got to TSN that I really, and we had a lot of other leagues too at the same time. Like we, as you guys know, we would often spend a week doing Champions League Tuesday, Champions League Wednesday, Europa League Thursday, Premier League Saturday morning, Premier League Saturday afternoon, and MLS on Saturday night. But it, it never got pushed to the back of our minds with that. It was it was all at the very level at the top. And how we produced MLS games was exactly the same how we would produce the other ones, even though many people would be watching would saying it was an inferior product. It was never going to be inferior in the way that we handled it and we produced it. So um, I guess that's a long way of saying that I just, uh, I really do genuinely love MLS. I love it. I love, I love the league. I love what it's done in Canada for these three clubs. And I love, um, I believe where it can go. And, uh, and I hope that I'm, I play a very small, tiny part uh, of that journey going forward. Okay. In a similar vein to, you know, the, the local stuff being treated the same as like the, the bigger European stuff. Um, you know, there's obviously a, a lot of British accents in the Canadian soccer media, and it kind of makes sense really growing up in England. There's just a lot more opportunities to to watch games and like report, commentate, analyze on games, that sort of thing. So there's obviously like a surplus of talent there. And do you feel like that is changing? That like in Canada just over the last, however, you know, decade or so, there's just so much more football that you've been able to be watched. And you know, with podcasts and blogging, you know, people can be going out there and doing anything. Do you see that the Canadian uh, sort of media personalities, for want of a better word, kind of like catching up and it's eventually going to get to the point where, you know, eh, all right, uh, you know, maybe having a, a British or a foreign accent of some kind isn't really that big of a deal? I would hope we're already there. I mean, I don't know. It's again, it's hard for me to speak about this because I don't speak very well about myself anyway. And I think you four, all of us are on the show could give me a better answer than this. But I would say this, it doesn't matter whether your accent comes from a country that you think is more reputable for the game or not. Within five minutes, if you're a phony, you're going to get found out. So you either know your stuff or you don't. So you just get, if you get an opportunity and in this modern day world of media and, um, you know, Instagram and TikTok and an ability to create a, um, a profile for each other, if you know what you're doing and you know the game, uh, you have a, a great opportunity. And, and to answer your question, I think it's a good one. You know, again, we're spending a lot of time here referencing the score. And, and back then, you know, we were, we started off at the score on sports world where there was so little access to games and so few people at the score could name five clubs in the world. And people who worked in the industry was like, couldn't name me three Manchester United players. And now, even though it is scattered all around these different platforms and you really have to work hard and spend money to find them, you can find any game you want to watch really. And I just think as I, as I do topics and talks to, to young um outstanding young media professionals in this country, I always tell them if if you want to get into the games, no matter what games it is or what sport it is, then then you've got an opportunity, but you've just got to watch the games, you know? And I think that's the important thing is that now these avenues are open to people. So take advantage of it. And it sounds like something for quite simple, but it actually isn't. You know, I've got kids. I know the the, the 
attention spans are lower than ever. And to ask somebody to just sit and watch a 45-minute half without looking at their phone or tweeting or going on social media or getting up to make a brew or going and speaking to someone else, or that, that, that for me is the biggest advice that I would ever give anybody who wants to get in the industry because your eyes will tell you everything you need to know. Uh, that will give you everything you need to know is just watch the games. And that's... Um, the biggest thing that I would tell them, because that's what I've done over the years, is just not get too, distra- too distracted and just take it all in. Okay. And you know, again, the similar kind of thing, a lot of opportunities go to ex-players. And obviously, there's like a certain thing that they bring that you know, people who haven't like played the game professionally don't have. But is that something... You know, do, do you kind of find it annoying in a way if like somebody comes in and just like oh you know they like retired a year ago or so and all of a sudden they've like got this job as opposed to somebody who's been kind of working within media and you know really like, looking at the games that's been their career for potentially decades and all of a sudden it's like guys oh well he's got a, a recognizable name comes in is that something that's kind of bothers you in a way or again another great question um to be completely honest it depends on the situation most of the time 100 percent, no absolutely not you know they have got so much to offer and can go down a path and tell stories and experiences that i could never do and i was always and i was i would certainly hope the audience would know this i was always conscious that i never wanted to pretend that you know, I think I had a different role to bring, um, which is why the, the most fun I have was when I'm with Jason or Steven and Luke, you know, that was the time because I think there was just a complimentary of it. You compliment each other. You know, you've got Steven who's so brilliant at reading a game and so um, his, his, his recall is fantastic and he can take anybody inside a game and analyze a game way better than I can. Um, and we bounce each other off. Yes, I can do some tactic stuff, but for me, my job is to connect with people across the league, interview people and tell stories and, and connect that to different games. And I think there was a role for both. Uh, the only time I would ever get a little bit of what you're saying is, uh, you know me, I'm a massive sports fan. So I've watched other sports and um, in cricket, for example, now in the, and I think cricket is done, the, the analysis at the cricket level is done extremely high um, is that, the, the insight that they bring, particularly in, in, in Sky Sports in England, is remarkable. But when I watch a cricket game now, like I've done this winter in Australia, for example, against India, every position in the media team is filled by an ex-player. Everyone. And I mean like host and interviewer and everyone. And I feel a little bit for, for younger media professionals in that situation because I think if they're going to be every, if they do everything, then your point is quite valid is that how, how it's quite hard for somebody who's spent a long time in the media industry to try and get in that position. If a former player isn't providing any kind of analysis on the, on the, on the incident on the incidents that are happening and their experiences are just simply hosting or, or being an interviewer asking questions. Are there any players that you've come across just who, who you feel would be perfect for television, but either either we're not aware of them because of their personality or their you know maybe their name brand or they're still obviously in the in the throes of their career is there any one player that maybe you have uh, insider knowledge to that you go this guy or she's gonna she would make a great 
person on a panel. She'd be a great host. Have you, used run, to joke, have you run into anyone? I used to joke all the time with uh, Alex Bono and say, you're going to take my job one day, mate. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's made for TV. Alex is great. Really? Honestly, he's great. He's smooth. He's, he's articulate. He's funny. He's honest. Uh, he reads the game really well. He's likable. Uh, so, yeah, um, straight away, as soon as you said that, Alex Bono, I thought I, I've been saying it to Alex for years. So when he's done with this goalkeeping lock, he can uh, he, he can do whatever he wants. Go go play with the big boys. Is what okay. <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, these guys, have, they've got a long career ahead of them still. That's so interesting. I, I, but why not? I guess. Yeah, I never I don't think I've ever looked at the crop of really looked at the current crop of TFC players and said, you are going into broadcasting. You are going over here. Yeah. Josie enjoyed it when he came into Sports Center. Well, yes, he seemed to. He would look yeah. like the type who would absolutely revel in it. Yeah. I think, I think this is a, a topic for our, our show next week. Mm. We're just gonna gotta say, I think the Dan Gargan getting into it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, Dan he does a great job. Like, yeah. Yeah. He'd be good I, at that. Yeah, and and you know, like I had Julian with me for the last two games that I did last season in the playoffs, Julian de Guzman, yeah. and um, and and you know, I've got so much time for Julian. He's a wonderful guy, and you know what I liked about Julian was that you know he he um, he just put so much into it. Bless his heart. You know, we were on the phone so many times, so many hours, asking questions and. In, a, in all the conference calls, all the interviews we were doing beforehand, the conference calls with the managers where we get the team earlier or whatever, he's talking to us. He's, he's involved, he's invested in everything. And he came in and he did screen tests and we did hours and hours of prep beforehand to kind of help him out. Um, the only thing I, re- I remember him saying is to me, he said, this is harder than playing. <laughs> he, he was exhausted, <laughs> blessed by the end of the day. Um, uh, so I think they get an insight into that, that it isn't something that they can just show up and talk about, but um, that they need to do the work and prepare. But Julian definitely did it. And uh, I'm sure if Julian wants it, I know he's got a lot of projects, but I'm sure the career is open for him as well. I know we've talked about the score a lot just because again that's our that's kind of like our touch point our, our our you know it's our introduction for you and again for soccer fans of a certain age that's um that's our memory of when you know soccer came to Canada in a way that was really accessible for us and, and you, obviously you guys were very pro- popular more popular than you knew um I got a, a sort of a couple of questions that like obviously it sounds like you had a lot of freedom in how the show was prepared and presented. And then after that, like even though, you know, you've both gone on to do other things, um, you know, more traditional broadcasting or different broadcasting, but as, you know, some broadcasting for soccer in Canada has changed and shifted, um, say to, to one soccer uh, as, a, as an example, um, do you see the influence from your show on these other broadcasts? Um, you know, like, again, I'll, I'll reference one soccer again, sort of sometimes these sometimes casualness of, of their studio. And some of that seems to me like what you and, uh, what you and James Charman were doing on the footy show. Yeah. I think it's a really astute point. And I think James has already been involved in one soccer, hasn't he? He did shows last year where, you know, you can watch him and it, it was like, it was almost a little bit like going back in time. I thought, you know, not in terms of the analysis, don't take me wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, in terms of the look, um, I love those guys. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right. 
And I think they want to be that way. You know, if you can be, then be that way at the end of the day, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. But I think, um, you know, in a setting like that, then just to be laid back. And as long as you're presented in a way that people are going to respect you and, uh, and, you know, and you're, and you're given opportunities to have a chat, I think any kind of tone that you can set that you, that people understand that you're just talking to them and not talking down to them, I think is important. And, you know, I, I have a ton of time for what they're doing at one soccer. And um, it, in many ways, it reminds me a little bit and I don't know, anything because i've not been in i'm not an insider there but from the outside uh a little bit like the score you know that small setup and that ability to try and build it going forward and they've got things they're working on and and they've got freedom to do a little bit different than 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 what's been happening in, in the mainstream media all right but wait i do have a very this is a very concerning question from the vocal minority podcast about the one soccer broadcasts what are your thoughts on their refusal to wear socks uh you're never- journalism there we go <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you'll never see me not wear socks. I'll just Thank tell you, you that. Thank you. That's too Thank casual. You. Good, good. Yeah. I mean, each to, each to their own, you know. Um, I'm trying to think who's done that. I'm trying to, but I can't, I, I, I couldn't pull it off. Person, they got, they suck Joshua Cloak in. All uh, of them, they all go sockless. No, that won't be me. Sorry. Good. <laughs> There's hope. Yeah. Uh, can't do it. Although, yeah, no, no. I'm just thinking because <laughs> anyway, the only way that would possibly happen is if like I had like a an issue with my foot again, which I consistently have. Which, is, but no, I still wouldn't do that. Good yeah. to know. Good to know. I, I, yeah. I'm I'm glad we had this opportunity to to discuss this. Um, this is this uh, this was truly an important question. Yeah. <laughs> wide open, Kristen. That's that's the the pull quote from this whole interview. Yeah, this, it is, yeah, this it whole is. thing. Kristen Jack, Jack will not go socks. I will always wear socks. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to get into a um yeah we wanted to get into something that we've talked about on uh, the show a few times and it kind of goes back to what I was saying about kind of the last twenty twenty five years or even more of uh, football broadcasting in Canada. And how we talked about how, you know, it went from small newspaper articles to just the one two-hour show a week on TSN. And then, you know, the evolution from uh, the score and into TSN into where it is today. But then in the last five years, and this isn't native just to Canada, but um, it's happening all over the world. But the onset of the pay-as-you-go streaming services, like a one soccer, like the zone, uh, and on and on there. You know, there's more around the world that are carrying product and competing heavily to have content. Um, I fear we've had, and I wanted to ask you your thoughts on it. Do you think that by having these kind of networks and taking away access, let's let's use the Premier League as an example. If you want to be a, a Premier League, if you want to watch the matches now, you have to have the zone in Canada, where I used to be able to watch it on, you know, fairly accessible network media do you, do you think this is going to create a a make the sport a little more of a niche sport here where it's not naturally the number one sport and uh also to make almost like a class system you think of a, of a young kid who maybe their parents isn't into the sport and doesn't have the money to access the zone or anything like that do you think it's it's putting football into this specialist category 
Yeah, I think you answered your own question because the, the reference that you just used there in the second point is one I use all the time is the children, you know, because of uh, kids, because of kids that are similar age to me uh, that I have. And, you know, I know how big the sport's getting because when I pick up my kids and they're wearing the, the shirts and the jerseys and the backpacks and um, I still think that they are the biggest target audience for us going forward you know that um what is their lifestyle like right now what are they you know what are they able to consume and watch you know what are they seeing what are we what are we losing to them uh, on days when the champions league games are on or other matches are on that they will what sports are we losing to them that are accessible on on those streams because i think other other adults uh, yeah adult viewers who can pick and choose have more of a say obviously and i think you know more and more people are going away from necessarily just watching things on t on television so they have ability to consume it but you're right i think you're right about the children i think that's concerning for me and uh you know i th i just genuinely think that this the sport in this country can grow and grow and grow but it, that they're not seeing it on a daily basis is, is, is a little worrying. Um, and, and the fact that they're on these streaming sites, I think there's pluses and minuses. You know, I think that people will find a lot of pluses to the fact that they can go watch all their games anytime they want them on these sites. Um, but, and, and all we hear is all the time people say, yeah, that's the future, that's the future, that's the future. Um, I know here in North America that the majority of people consume the NFL on television. The majority of people consume the NHL on television, Major League Baseball on television, and their television rights numbers are enormous and massive, massive parts of their economic income in terms of their revenue, uh, to the point now that they're actually sustainable businesses without one person paying for a ticket for an entire full season to watch any of these games. Uh, so there is still something there. It is not a dying industry with these. And you just have to go and look at Major League Baseball's recent you know, contracts that they've signed with local broadcasters for you know, enormous mind-blowing mind figures. So I still think there's something there for, for that. But with our sport that we're talking about is very different. And, um, you know, Premier League and a lot of other UEFA, obviously the Champions League, make decisions to sign deals in different ways in, in Canada that they were able to do that they probably wouldn't have been able to do uh, if it was somewhere in England, for example. Um, so they've taken the biggest uh, contracts that they could get. And uh, it's not just Canada, by the way. You know, the United States are at the moment at the forefront of this with the with Peacock coming in and taking more Premier League games away from NBCSN and NBC and NBCSN ending eventually. So... It's, um, yeah, it's a chore, is it not, for soccer fans to try and find the games that they want to go and watch? And that's just, um, you know, I'm in the middle of it, but it's, I think that's a, a difficult for me to, to, to kind of understand at the moment. It's, it's, it is hard. And I just hope that people will find it wherever they go and, and, and will continue to watch it. I think it was, for, for me personally, I, I know when it was announced, talked about it on the show, some agree and some disagree with me. Uh, when uh, the Canadian Premier League was started and they decided to go to the route of primarily being on one soccer uh, streaming service that was new to Canada through media pro who's, you know, has their own issues around the world. But um, I, I was, I, I didn't think it was personally a great move that they were only on a, a new streaming service. When you're trying to build a league, it's already, you know, yes, it's going to have some natural fans, which it does. 
but a lot of it was winning hearts and minds of people who, you know, are used to watching a much higher quality of play. And, and I thought just having to force people into, you know, join a streaming service, even if it was economically not, you know, super high compared to some of the others, but I, how do you feel? What do you think of the decision to do that in, in, in terms of trying to build or get eyes on a brand new league? in a country where it's, you know, far from the number one sport. Yeah, I understand um, the question. I, I just think I, I, it's very difficult for me to talk about because I don't know what their opportunities were when they ultimately came to making that decision. You know, I don't know. You know, they have to make decisions that's best for them for their revenue streams and their ability to try and produce content. Um I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what kind of, we know what the deal they have with CBC, um, you know, what kind of opportunities they had to put games there, but it's a very, very narrow window, is it not? So yeah. what, would, what were the opportunities to go elsewhere? I, I, I honestly have no inside knowledge or anything, you know, is it, okay, well, you sign a deal with, um, you name it, one sports network in this country and suddenly are your games just being streamed on .ca? You know, it does, I mean, where, are you able to get on the network or suddenly are you going to get bumped off because the NASCAR race was in a rain delay or, you know, it's, there's lots of different things that can happen, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I just hope, and it, look, it's difficult because the pandemic and no one saw that coming. I just hope that they can find a way to uh, somehow find a linear channel of their own maybe that's the next thing because as you said if i still think there's a ton of people out there that don't know um very much at all about this leak and that's mls has been mls's problem and they're working on that in terms of how do you get this is not my word but i will use it um the euro snobs to fall in love with mls when they're living in north america and that's been a terminology that they've used in, in their own board meetings as well and then the next level is how do you get those those people to fall in love with their own teams in their own backyard and for me it's quite simple it's regional you, you know it's it's the same thing as i always said on our broadcast for toronto fc and we talk to their players it's that you know that name on the front of that shirt means something you know they are representing everything about that place and if you're in hamilton and you're a toronto fc fan that's fine but you know what that forge team stands for you and they stand for your place and where you live and your area. And that's something that Toronto FC fans can provide, but even more so regionally in, in, in CPL. And that's why, you know, if you're a Halifax fan and you've got playing in your city, that's, that's just wonderful for me. So I just hope that there's ways that more eyeballs can fall on it from that regional point of view, because that's who they represent. We told that to Bill Manny. He thought we were crazy. <laughs> you told you told what that, that you know that when the C, we spoke to him just before cpl was about to launch and that you know these local clubs would mean a lot to local communities yes and and yeah his his american franchise i think view of the size of mls compared to i think it was looked through a scope of um, competition bigger is better you know and uh, yeah. maybe without that i mean we have a lot of time for bill he's been on the you know he's done a lot with our show but um no i get that we we, we, you, we, we, did, we disagreed with because you know we're all used to um coming from places with smaller clubs you know well, especially in europe yeah that's the point isn't it that's yeah. the model how can it not be it's the model that works right so it's yeah. that's that's what i was going to say is that's the model that works it's like duncan said before about darlington it's like 
you know, that's just don't get one, him started, please. Oh. please it's, one no. example, <laughs> it's one example of a place where, you know, and I said about Preston earlier, you know, there are lower league fans of those clubs that will go and watch those teams, but then can't possibly afford or can't possibly get their parents to drive them 50, 80, you name it, hundred miles to the big club that they support. And there'll be fans of them as well. And there's a, there's definitely a place for that. It's not, you're not suddenly becoming, as I used to call Brendan Dunlop on the footy show, Johnny Superfan, you know, where you're wearing, you know, wearing all these leagues that you're a fan of the same team in all these different leagues. You know, it's like, it, you gotta be, it's different. Right. So I, I, I genuinely think that's the, that's the way forward. So that, that leads us into the next three hours of our podcast where we talk about promotion and relegation in MLS. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm all in, by the way. All right. There's the second soundbite. We're done. I'm, I'm all in. I have, a, I, have a, I have a platform written in one of my many books here. I've got an idea. I've got it all done. Uh, I'm all in. So it's all good. Let us know when you need help. Yes. I yes, mean, we probably, will. you know, we're here. Would, we're here for you. Would, would you. would you like a new show on our network? <laughs> <laughs> network. <air quotes. laughs> uh-huh. One, one, one very uh, last quick um, question about this, about all the streams and the splintering. And this goes back to the broadcasting as how, you know, we've talked about the growing pool of Canadian um, soccer broadcasting talent. But they're you know, being forced to splinter in many different directions, but, you know, and things are changing in broadcasting. Streaming is new in the last five, 10 years, you know, in traditional networks, it's, it's different than it used to be. Um, yeah. But do you, do you think there, there's a problem on the horizon possibly when the big products like say World Cup come along and a big network is most likely to land, you know, like TSN has had in the past. Do you think there's going to be a possibility of there's a, a dearth of talent in to draw from in with one network when everyone is kind of here, there and everywhere after a while. Um, do you mean, um, like say, let's, let's say for instance, TSN, um, gets the so rights to the 2022, but you know, has, they have the 2026 shrunk, too, by the way. All right. Well, there you go. And they've shrunk, say they've shrunk their day-to-day talent, people like yourself to right. the point, you know, where they don't necessarily have that pool of talent anymore. I don't know. Is, is, I wonder, we, we wonder if that's going to lead them to just like bringing in people from overseas once again, because they sound like they know what they're talking about kind of thing, you know, yep. or we'd like to, everyone wants to see the Canadian broadcasting pool be strong and be recognizable. But if there are all, if the major networks aren't supporting the sport quite like they did in the past, do you think there's a possibility that, you know, that talent pool is just really spread out and you, you won't have those recognizable faces to host, say, a World Cup. Um, tough one again for me to yeah. answer. Um, I would ask you... Um, Do we want the, the job? Yes. Yes. Saudi Arabia versus Tunisia. <laughs> <laughs> the value. Uh, I would ask you, and I'm genuinely interested, folks, the value that you guys have in having... Canadians um, and faces that you can connect to on these tournaments. What? Because I think that's something that interests me because you're right to bring it up. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know where my future is. Um, and yes, other countries have done what you've said. What's, what's the benefits for, for on your end for that? I don't know, but from, from myself, 
when it comes to the World Cup, because, you know, we've had it all in the last 30 years in Canada. We used to just pick up the broadcast from England. There'd be a short show out of the, you know, whoever was had the rights in Canada. But pretty much you know, all the commentary would be from BBC ITV, whoever had the rights coming out of England. Um, but I, I think for the growth of the sport myself, it's nice to have a core group of broadcasters who are the face of the sport. Right. I, people connect with them. People, you know, whether they like them or, or not, you know, that they, they know who they go to, they know who they enjoy. And um, I, I think as the game has grown in Canada and as players, you know, Alfonso Davies and, you know, Christine Sinclair, or, you know, these world stars, it's nice to have people to speak up about Canada, not just the good points, but the bad points too, you know, right. Canada's had good and bad points, but to have that kind of, I think Canada has often lacked mainstream analysis of its own, whether that be the club system now with the Canadian Premier League or the national programs. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it's nice to have a group of people who can not only talk about the big picture, like a world cup or the biggest leagues in the world, but also growing the sport here because that's the long-term you know, foundation of the sport thriving. Yeah, very fair. Yeah, I um, appreciate your honesty. I would just add this. I know um, in the past, Major League Soccer have said how much they loved having a team that would do a World Cup game or a Premier League game and then would be doing their game, you know? And it just, they they really enjoyed that, right? Uh, because back to my point before about... Um, at TSN, I think that we just kind of treated, or we tried to at least, um, we being Luke, Stephen, and I from the forefront, um, that treat the same, the, the exact same way that you know the way that we analyze the game and the way we look at the game and we talk about the game and the importance of the game, whether it's France, Croatia, World Cup final, or it's um, a few days later, you know, Toronto FC playing Columbus, you know, what or either way. So I think that was always something that that kind of presence on on camera help, certainly helps but it's a good question it's difficult for me to answer because I, I i honestly other than that i don't really know what else to say so similar to a, kind of a combination of what you both were saying what you were saying about regionality of 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 sport in terms of uh the campiel and and talking about representation on broadcasts um one of the things i think that has been really important and is really important in terms of having you know yes recognizable uh, faces, but also faces from like the places you are. So when you've got uh, regional soccer to have someone doing local broadcasts, but also for things like the World Cup, for things like Champions League, to have, you know, yes, faces that you know and and respect and have, you know, spent time with and, and know how they view the game, but also understand uh, the Canadian viewing experience, as well as the Canadian experience in playing the game and how the game um, grows and has grown in this country and have that reflected on the screen. So the last, um, the last Women's World Cup uh, to have um, someone like Claire Rustad and uh, who's brilliant and, you know, she's she wasn't a, she's, busy. She's an absolute alive. gem. Yeah. She's amazing. And if she wasn't, yeah, if she wasn't busy saving lives as a doctor, uh, yeah. I, I want her on every single soccer broadcast, yeah. regardless of what it is, because she's just that gifted. Yes, one of my faves. Yeah. But to have that kind of, again, that level of representation and that understanding of 
how people are watching the sport, but also who is watching. So yeah, when you have these packaged groups that are that potentially come in, um, you know, for the World Cup or whatever, when it's oh, we're just going to beam in this broadcast, and your country might be in it, but we might ha not have the same local representation. It's it's not the same, and you lose the connection, and you lose local flavor isn't the word I'm looking for, but you lose understanding of what the viewers are seeing and what the viewers are experiencing. And I think that's, um, that's a concern as we look at things maybe shrinking more than, not maybe shrinking, things have been shrinking and, and whether or not TSN has the rights, there's still this gap. There's this like this space that's now grown and- uh, Right, right. That's, I'll, I'll be honest, so to interrupt you, that's, that's kind of the fuel that drives me and it drove me during those tournaments. You know, we did World Cups. Uh, we did the 2018 World Cup, 200 hours of live television, 32 teams. You know, you guys know treble, you know, treble headers. Some days we had four, 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, 3, you know, that at TSN at four in the morning and leaving at eight at night. And the great thing about presenting it to a Canadian audience was that I knew that no matter what game we were talking about, we had people from that country watching us because they love that country. And I don't think any other country in the world could have said that, you know, I, I really, and if they did, they didn't recognize it within their own broadcasts. So it doesn't matter who was playing in that game. That was the, that was the emphasis and the draw, the drive that I know that Stephen and I talked about almost on a daily basis and a nightly basis in the buildup to it. And, you know, people laugh or sometimes joke about my binders or whatever, that 300-page World Cup binder that was half full before a ball was kicked was driven by that. It's talking to people in those countries. It's watching those games. It's doing everything you can to know about that country. So when you get your, your body switches on for those two teams, it's like no matter who's from that country, they're watching that game. They may not have watched anything else. They're just watching that game. And I have to try and bring a level of expertise and knowledge of those, those countries just because of, uh, for lack of a better term, just how awesome this country is in terms of how multicultural it is. Uh, and that's what drove me as well. And, and as opposed to answer Kristen and Tony's point, that could be a challenge for somebody that just is just dropped in from somewhere else. That's a really good transition into uh, our Canadian soccer section. And you've been, you know, you've lived here for over 20 years and you've been involved in um, commentating. And, and honestly, you've helped grow the game here um, in Canada just by being involved in the broadcast level and um, obviously working those games, watching those games, learning about uh, the, different, the different programs and, and seeing leagues come and go. So, uh, Mark, I'm going to start it off with you. Sure. Um, so how has Canadian soccer and its perception and performance on the world stage changed from the time you came to Canada to present day? 
from its perception point of view, it's night and day. It's um, enormous. We, uh, I think um, so many people didn't even think Canada even played the game, right? So, you know, particularly around the world. And look, I think you have to start with the women's team. I think you have to start with what their their ability to to, uh, to succeed on an international level like the Olympics has been enormous. Christine Sinclair has played a major part in that. And that's when the Canada the Canadian soccer landscape is starting to reflect internationally. And then subsequently Alfonso Davies, of course, Jonathan David and many others have made a big deal uh, with that. I do think it's important to recognize that there was many Canadians that were playing in Europe way before these guys, you know, um, I'm playing at a very high level. And there's, there's a lot of those players that have delivered that we know and our listeners know. Uh, So I want to differentiate that because what they all did was extremely important as trailblazers, Stolteri, DeVos, and many others, you know, Gallup. But what happened is, is that they have not, they didn't get the international acclaim as much because the media is very different now. And, and that's why people see what, what what's going on. Like I, you know, I remember when Alfonso Davies won the Champions League and we were doing a hit on TSN. And one of the questions they wanted to ask in SportsCenter is, is Alfonso Davies already the greatest Canadian player of all time? And I was like, hang on a minute. Like, hang on a minute. Like, do you want me to tell you, do you want me to tell you all about Atiba Hutchinson? Like, by the way, men's player. I said, like, Atiba Hutchinson has been performing at a high level in Europe for years. And okay, did he ever become the best player in his position or arguably the best player? No. That doesn't mean to say that Alfonso Davies has suddenly become the greatest player of all time. No disrespect to Alfonso. Yes, he's reached higher highs, but he hasn't been around long as long enough. So uh, I just think that's a bit of a, a way of explaining my point, really, in terms of, yeah, I think the perception is very different now and the way that, we, in, in the way that people look at Canada. And I will tell you, this is a fact, the way that other clubs are thinking about the talent in this country and scouting it and... Um, you know, there's this thing in basketball in the Canadian circles about the Vince Carter effect. I think uh, already we're starting to see the Alfonso Davies effect because uh, clubs are looking at what Alfonso did and thought, okay, uh, let's figure out not just Canada, but the United States and find these players because there's more out there. What do you think has maybe been like the biggest boon to the sport here in Canada? So like, is it the emergence of world stars like Christine Sinclair, um, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, you know, Tiba Hutchinson, Kadisha Buchanan? Is it the rise of the three MLS clubs, uh, access to soccer from around the world on TV and now on streaming services? That time TSN brought Darren Anderton over for the summer. Um, <laughs> what do you think has sort of lifted the game up? Um, all of the above, apart from one, um, <laughs> I won't tell you which one, um, all of the above apart from one are great points. I think, I, I, I think you make a great point about the teams playing in Canada, you know, having an ability to connect with clubs and a culture and, um, you know, we have to try and change the soccer culture in this country. And the only way we do that is by having places like Toronto FC, Vancouver Whitecaps, Montreal Impact, and others Canadian clubs now in the Premier League um, stand up for what they represent and go forward and create memories and reference points and um, 
sometimes bring you the most highest of highs and sometimes just destroy and break your heart. And that's what professional sports do. And that's fandom. And that's what's the, you know, that's the connection to these, and uh, these, these clubs that you need to have in this country. And I think that's imp- really important going forward. And we're, it's hard to talk about it too much in the grand scheme of things. Cause we generally are just in the infancy. Toronto FC is coming up to their 15th season and they're older than the other two, you know, it's yeah. just the babies babies um so i think that's really important that's going to drive this the the soccer culture going forward in this country uh for a long time because we talked about the kids before but now you know you see kids wearing toronto fc gear all the time around where we live and in our industry in in our areas we live here in the gta and why because their parents were into it and then the kids are going to get into it and then their kids are going to get into it and then you have generations telling about the stories and then you have series like toronto fc montreal 2016 that should never ever not be told um and that's what that's what pushes uh the the sport in this country i think more than probably anything else well and then talking about pushing the sport in the country or getting you know like that representation those things that uh connect people to the sport um with the women just coming off of literally a couple hours ago before we recorded um playing in the she believes cup Uh, their first meaningful soccer uh, in almost a year. And when you've got, um, when you have, you still have Canada, you know, just has developed a domestic league for the men, but when the women still don't have a domestic league, and do you think the lack of that has allowed other countries that in the past had didn't have you know the support of the infrastructure but who have now put money into that in their own countries and building domestic leagues and building proper support um you know is that helping them catch up to our women's program which is before sort of flattered to deceive as a top four top five country um they're not the top tier but they're not the bottom tier they almost occupy a middle space by themselves but other countries are starting to meet them in that middle space yeah, I definitely do. I think there's a lot to that point, Chris, and I think it's a good point for sure. And um, thankfully, and I do think it's a great thing, we're seeing an incredible rise in women's sports and more and more people investing into it and more and more people being aware of it. Um, and yeah, the Canadian girls are, are slowly getting a little bit more of their international due, but what's coming with that is um, an understanding that other countries around the world are doing the same and they're catching them up and maybe overtaking them. And it's time for them to try and figure that out themselves. Now, obviously in the, in, in the she believes cup, as you mentioned, we've been all been watching it again. We are analyzing it or certainly I am through the lens of, of COVID and through the lens of how do you play without your best players? How do you play when you've not been together for a year? How do you play with a new coach? How do you figure out and get that system? Um, in way, in many ways, it's not just because there's no supporters, but I think we're getting just a glimpse into what are, and, this, and please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not taking away anything from what is the She Believes Cup, but they're glorified training matches. It's the only way that these coaching staffs are able to analyze these games at this point. And this is why they're doing these games. It's because they're getting opportunities for them to see, to see how they can play together. Um, so yeah, I'm totally with you. Your point about the lack of Canadian league Uh, win the women's league in this country. I don't know whether this will ever happen, but I think there is an enormous opportunity in this country for um, big empires, people with a lot of money 
to create something that could be very, very big. Um, and, and that would be a women's, a domestic women's league in Canada and to be a challenger to some of the best leagues in the world. There's a lot to hear to, for, for it to work. And I've said it for a long time. I don't think the women's game needs to follow anything to do with the men's game. It needs a blank canvas and look at the men's game and go, yeah, okay, you do this, you do that. Um, do they have to play a World Cup every four years? Why not every three? Why not every two? Do they have to do everything the way the same way the men's game? Absolutely not. Find your own way of going about it. And um, to both, you know, as they say in the movie, if they build it, people will come because they will. And you know, I think of it a little bit like the 2020 cricket game and the ability to try and find leagues around the world where you can do that. If you can do that in Canada and you can bring a Canadian women's uh, call it, whatever you want, super league, premier league into Canada, um, you can get to a point where you can bring some of the best players in the world uh, to Canada. And you couldn't do that if you started a men's league here today, again, as the Canadian premier league have have shown, Uh, but with the women's, you can certainly get the high end talent, um, uh, and, and bring the quality of the game very quickly that we've, we're not seeing in many places around the world. Yeah, I agree with you about the the lens of the She Believes Cup. And and although I think it's an important that Canadian women have been invited to play this time, and of course it's due to COVID because it's harder to get clubs or, or countries nearby to come play. But they don't they rarely get to play top talent like this. You know, they have and they have that Correct. friendly against uh, England coming up in April. So that will be uh, that'll be another enjoyable test for them. But I think, yeah, the, the the prevailing interest seems to be more leading towards getting NWSL clubs here as opposed to um, having a Canadian women's domestic league. Uh, and and there's that's a whole like another half an hour discussion. But um, I think that having some sort of, like there has to be there I, I sort of feel like they're at a watershed moment in terms of development yes we have amazing players who are doing brilliant things in the nwsl in france in england um and in other leagues overseas who are really starting to shine uh but same thing with uh you know the canadian men you need something here and yeah you've got women that are at a very high level um who could be a, a real force for for something different here so uh, Duncan. Uh-huh. Um, to go back to the, the men's game now, get away from the, uh, the women's game, obviously Alfonso Davies, Jonathan Davies, we talked about them. There's all of a sudden, you know, uh, seems like a lot of talent, a bit more excitement about the Canadian team right now. Where do you see, like, within, like, that sort of generation of players, within, say, maybe the, like, the next 20 years, what are the expectations for Canada? And can they kind of, like, get over the hump in CONCACAF, get to the point where they are qualifying for the World Cup regularly. How many World Cups in the next 20 years would Canada be at? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Well, yes. <laughs> I'll guarantee you they're going to be at one of the next two. <laughs> Go on, which one? No. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to be at one of the next two for sure. Uh, uh, look, I think that they have to get to the point where they're becoming serious contenders every time to qualify for a world cup and we now know the pathway is there we know the qualifiers are there and we know this is an enormous year for them you know here we are in 2021 and next year's the world cup and it's so 
it's so strange to say that because we're not, we haven't even started the qualification process and we all know the reason for that. But this is going to come quick and fast. And by that, I mean in every facet. And I mean that, by the way, in business. And that's crucial because if Canada can do the job here and can get to the eight and they can get in that eight and they, the first game is playing Honduras and suddenly they've got to go to the US and suddenly they've got to go to Mexico. And then the first four games, they played three massive games like that. Um, and then they've got eyes on them and the headlines are there and David and Davies are performing and there's a chance they can make the World Cup. And more importantly for them, they're gaining the reference points required to get tougher and know what it takes and finally play top-class opposition within their own region. That's all a crucial and essential uh, process for them to move forward. And then on the opposite, on the other side, away from it with the commercial business revenue, then hopefully they can get more money coming into Canada soccer and we can find a way that more people are getting behind these guys. And suddenly, you know, if my kids are eating cereal, watching TV in the morning, Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David are on commercials. You know, that's where we want to get to because these guys are international superstars that are known more around the world than they are in their own country. Uh, so how are we going to get them to be known in their own country? First of all, we need people to see them playing regularly, wearing the red maple leaf with Canada on the shirt. And we need to see them playing regularly, winning, wearing it, winning games, uh, successful games. And that's important. So I think that we're on the right path. And that's why it probably makes this year, 2021, um, the most crucial year for that, fran- for that, I was going to call it franchise, but for that organization, the Canadian men's game, um, maybe ever maybe ever because of what they can accomplish and get through here. And um, look, if they don't make the 2022 World Cup, to answer your question, Duncan, I don't think it will be a, a, a failure or an unmitigated disaster, but they have to get in the eight and they have to play well in the eight and have be competitive in the eight and not get blown out in all 14 games. They have to figure out a way of getting in that eight and having a chance. And so be part of the process here is developing the storylines and playing around that Canada women's didn't win the gold medal in 2012, but they almost did. Canadian men's team doesn't have to get to the world cup in 2022, but they almost have to get there. And that's the difference because it tells you, it it tells everybody that they're in the discussion and that it gets them talking, it gets everyone talking about it. And once you're in the discussion and you're on Sports Center and you're in the commercials and you're everyone's talking about them, then people know about them and then the success can come their way and more money can get into the program, which I think, as I said many times, is regularly important. And um, they can get the backing and hopefully can get into that World Cup going forward regularly after that. All right, so it's a glorious failure, like coming close, but no, you know, that, that's the, uh, the, the next step. But, uh, hey. It's better than not getting there at all uh, in terms it of that is, eight. Absolutely, you know, yeah. They've got to get in that eight. And if they get in that eight, I'm telling you, they've got a real chance. And that's all we can ask for. If you'd got in that eight in the last pro- in the last World Cup qualifying, I'd have said, all right, good luck, lads. <laughs> you know, but now I think they've got a chance. I'll say this, and I know a lot of people within that industry, in that organization, I've got to know some of the players quite well. There's something special, guys, really special. I don't know whether mm-hmm. we're going to see it, um, but they're genuinely a lot of good, good people. 
good people who care a lot about this this country and care a lot about that program and are buying into what John Herbman and his staff are saying and believe in each other and are there for each other. And you've got that off the field in the middle of a global pandemic, in the middle of egos and young personalities and all trying to get in and get it in, in getting individuals to buy into the team collective spirit. And they are. Um, that's a massive, massive factor that can help them going forward. Fair enough. I mean, you, know, you just look at the amount of players that are all of a sudden, yeah, you're eligible for it's Portugal or whatever the company it is, whatever country, and all of a sudden they're deciding to play for Canada. I mean, it backs that up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's short term, long term. The Canadian Premier League will eventually be uh, an important part of this. It's only been going a couple of years so far. What did you say are like the, the best and worst things that they've done so far within those couple of years or so? Well, they're producing talent and they're giving opportunities for players to play. And we're seeing already that other leagues want these players. Uh, you know, so you have to create opportunities for these guys to get opportunities to play and consistently. And they're playing in, they're playing, they can play in CONCACAF tournaments. Um, and you're giving them a, uh, they give, you're giving them professional avenues to improve. You know, I remember talking to Joel Waterman about this, and you know, his his segue from Canadian Premier League to MLS, he it, it wasn't some young guy walking into a dressing room inferior, thinking I can't handle and play Major League Soccer. He was coming from a professional environment to another professional environment. Yes, it's an upgrade, and yes, it's a different standard. You know, a little bit, not a not an enormous contrast. And that's what we're doing. We're handing opportunities for these players you never would have seen before to get through it. That's the major, major plus for me. Um, away from the game is obviously the connect, the connecting to Canadian audiences and seeing thousands and thousands of people going down to these small grounds and getting behind these teams is terrific for me. Obviously, from the negative point of view, if you're asking that, the tough one is what's going on, obviously, right now. It's that, you know, we can only hope the investors and everybody who's involved in it can can. can can find a way here to continue to keep their head above water, right? Because we know that the storm's hitting hard and it's tough and they have to have the Island games and we don't know what it's going to look like this year. Uh, and we know it's been tough for a, an organization like the Canadian football league and, and how tough it's been for them to not even play in the CFL and this, you know, the Canadian premier league are, are, are just one years old. So, I think that's been a real challenge in trying to keep players and get players over here, knowing that can they are they going to be able to live in Canada? Where are they going to play the games? When you know are they going to play for six or seven weeks and then move on? How many people are you going to get to come in to buy into that system? So that's been a bit of a negative at the moment, but that's something that's out of their control. Fair enough. Okay, so where do you place MLS? among the pantheon of leagues in the world, given their desire to be one of the top 10, where do you, where do you place them? Um, I don't have a rankings and, right and, away, and like, but cause your I metrics you can be any number of ways, right? Winder? Come on, Christian. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I mean, they, they obviously aren't in the top 10. Um, I think, you know, I think they need to get to a point where, and I've been pretty consistent on this, so regular people who have heard my take on this will already know what I'm going to say, but they need to get to a point where every game really does matter. 
you know, every game is competitive and every game is truly important. And I think that's what's holding them back. And I say that coming from a good place. And I say that, as I said earlier in the show, from somebody who genuinely loves the league. Um, and, you know, I think that's where they're going to go forward in terms of becoming a league that can be can really competitive for the quality of standards that other leagues are bringing uh, in Europe. Because when the players step across that white line in Europe um, and South America as well, by the way, there's that, that genuine concern about, you know, are we, are we going to stay in this league? Uh, are we going to be able to stay in this league this year? You know, this result means something. And, you know, everyone uses the English Premier League as a reference because it is the most popular league in the world. But as I say all the time, you know, they, there's, a, there's a reason why every game matters. You know, like Burnley West Brom on the weekend was absolutely dreadful. I watched all 90 minutes of it, <laughs> mainly because I have to, but it was horrendous game of football, but it mattered. Why did it matter? Because the point could keep Burnley in the Premier League and the point could actually not be very good for West Brom. We need three points right now to stay. And what's the equivalent right now in Major League Soccer of Burnley versus West Brom? I'm not going to name clubs. You can do it in your own heads. But um, like, who's going to watch that game? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that if that game's in the middle of May and it's a battle between you-know-who versus you-know-who, oh, who's I like watching you know the who. match? You know, so that's the concern I have. But what the promotion and relegation does is it brings an ability for everyone to be like, oh my God, we can't, we can't lose this game. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, like that's for, for me the next great, the, the, the next great frontier for Major League Soccer. And no one wants to talk about promotion and relegation, but I'm here for it. I'll talk about it. I'm you all do. in. Yeah. <laughs> We're all <fine. laughs> So I mean, that example, so Vancouver are playing who? Who do we think that's Vancouver versus <laughs> San Jose? San Jose. <laughs> okay, Vancouver San Jose. Sure, agreed. By the way, Vancouver, Vancouver San Jose MLS's back tournament was one of the greatest games MLS had last season. It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> do you remember that game? Vancouver up three one. San Jose came back, scored three goals, including a ninety eighth minute winner from Shea Salinas. I remember we were going bonkers <laughs> in the studio by that point. It was crazy. All right. Well, it I didn't think- matter. <laughs> it's Vancouver. Really good point. But as a middle ground in all of that, would you? The one thing before they could get to Portwell, because that's going to take so much time. Um, the playoffs, where so many teams are in the play. There's so many playoffs. There's so much. Like personally, I would love to see them scale that back just a tiny little bit. What do you think? So again, another good point. Here's the problem with it. You scale playoffs back and you don't let as many teams in. You now Nothing have now. more games that don't matter. You have more games that don't matter because suddenly you've got more teams out there. Mm-hmm. So now you've got team playing, uh, team in who's 12th. They've got, they've got no chance of making the playoffs. But now they did. DC United, a good example, DC United last year were horrendous right? Terrible team. They eventually had a little bit of a run near the end of the season. I think they won three or four or two or four or three, two and seven points from 12 or something. They went into the last day of the season and they could have made the playoffs. I mean, that, that why? Well, one, because it was expanded because of the issues with COVID. We understand that. Um, but that's not, that's not good for the, 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 the league, in my opinion. Um, so that's your point is, is a really good one, Kristen, but the point that's the, the concern that they have is that more and more teams not making it means less, more, less games that don't matter. Right. Um, my concern is that it's become a bit more of a playoffs or nothing when it comes to evaluations. So, um, 
Toronto FC, by the way, have been lucky for that because Toronto FC have become almost the profile of a team that have have sometimes had, um, for lack of a better term, an average year, and then have gone on a run. I'm thinking of 2019, where yeah. they are the be they are the poster boys for lights of the brightest. Let's get this done, lads, and go on a run to MLS Cup final. And suddenly that season becomes an enormous success. Um, but as Chris Armas has reminded us, and as I've often reminded people. In 2019, Chris Armas led the New York Red Bulls to more wins in the regular season than Greg Vanny led Toronto FC in the regular season. Now, they got bounced out in the playoffs and TFC went on a run and got really hot and made it all the way to the final where they got beat by Seattle. So whose season is better? Clearly, it's Toronto FC. But whose team is better? Long-term success. Who's done the better job? Um, And I think that if we're going to have playoffs that certainly in the years now where we're making them just a one-off knockout we have to understand that in a game of tremendous randomness where anything can happen in one match we all have to be very careful in terms of evaluating teams solely based on this cup competition which is what it is at the end of a year and forgetting the body of work which is the 34 games of the year thank you i'm going to record this and play this for anybody who uh thinks that the playoffs is a good idea I mean, it's good, but that's in a nutshell where 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 I stand with this. So, it's I think that's a great idea. I still think there's something for it. We all know without playoffs, it doesn't right now the way the model of the MLS is set up. You don't have those nights that I'm sure all of you have been a part of at BMO Field and many other areas around the world around a Major League Soccer that's listening to this. Those excitement times where you know it's knockout football. It's for the it's for the trophy and what it's all about. But I do think there's something about that regular season, which is why I was very outspoken um, for those that watched TSN's coverage during the time where the supporter shield story came out about them saying, oh, who cares about that? And certain people say it doesn't matter about awarding anything in MLS for the regular season anyway. And I was I went the other way, as I said then, and still say it again. We have to find a way to make the regular season more valuable, not less valuable. You you would not find disagreement in this room, so <laughs> I think we we did a show or two on that, didn't we, guys? I think yes. I don't know it's if it's a look. show or two, but we've probably done about eight hours over the years because <laughs> that's what we do. round time we're gonna we're gonna finish off the show we're gonna have our lightning round uh we're just gonna throw stuff at you it could be quick answers you can give long thoughtful answers whatever strikes your fancy we don't care because there's a mishmash of uh those types of questions in here okay and, i'll uh, try and keep it short because i feel like i want to listen to you guys i feel like i'm the one doing all the talking oh that's the whole point of you being here <laughs> <laughs> our <laughs> listenership <laughs> was already on a vacation for that thank you uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do this more often um so yeah so duncan is going to uh, get the ball rolling 
Yeah. Uh, presuming you're too young to remember Aston Villa winning the European Cup, what's your favourite Villa moment that you've experienced? Uh, favourite Villa moment has to be the 1994 Coca-Cola Cup final when I got a ticket uh, two days before and went down to watch Villa play Manchester United. We were going for the treble at the time and Villa were 4-1 to one to win the game. Uh, United were the massive favourites, as everyone remembers. They actually wore the famous green and yellow kit. Uh, you name it, they, they, <laughs> he was Cantona, everyone was playing. And um, we beat them. We beat them 3-1, outplayed them and won the cup. It was uh, absolutely glorious. I love that you say that, just because uh, I'm a Darlington fan, but Brian Little, he was like the, the coach there. So I was very much on Aston Villa. That's right. Uh, kind of bandwagon fan for a few years there. there so Milosevic. Well, that was a different cup final. So I'm, I'm talking about 94 when Ron Atkinson was manager. 96 oh, was wow. Brian and oh. I went to that game as well. That's when oh. we. That's when that's. I was at that game when Savo Milosevic smashed it in from 30 yards to beat Leeds in that mm. cup final. That was two years later. Uh, but ah, I was there. Okay. That was that was a pretty special highlight too. But uh, the 94 one against Man United was uh, the best. <laughs> outwork you in 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 old school footy knowledge that's yeah yeah doesn't apparently. happen very yeah. often usually duncan mm. is the one throwing facts mm. at us from like 15 20 years ago so yes. that's great i'm sure he could be <laughs> yeah. me and many others it just mm. happened to be my specialized subject <laughs> um okay so best and worst coach that you've interviewed at halftime wow what a question <laughs> that is oh my goodness Best and and worst coach interview at halftime. Well, does it have to be a coach? Uh, no, player? no, no. Best, we can be loose. Best and worst right. halftime, like little halftime interview. Because okay, yeah. So the 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 backstory for this is, um, most of the time halftime interviews used to be players. Now, when we have a Canadian broadcast only, we have two windows. As you know, we do an interview at the end of the first half and an interview to start the second half. So if Toronto's playing Montreal or Vancouver's playing Montreal, conversely, it's always the coaches. So it's one at half time. So you give reactions from both camps. Um, and then what we found is a lot of times players, a lot of times don't want to do them. Um, we only have a short list of people we can ask for because a lot of players will not do it. And so it become harder and harder to get the best out of the players. So we did start to do more coaches from both teams. Um, the best halftime interview coach I've done, it, it's probably got to be just because I did it more than anybody else. It's probably got to be Greg Vanny, um, just because we had such a good relationship and he was very honest and open. Although I had so many good ones. Mauro Biello was one of my favorites to do as well. Um, I remember during the, you guys will remember this, but there was a time, uh, TFC Montreal game at BMO Field where it all kicked off right before halftime. It often would between these teams, two teams is a brawl and everyone's going crazy and there's a controversy and Maro's furious. And I know I'm about to ask him a question that he's going to get fined for, but I have to ask him anyway. <laughs> goes off. And so that was fun. Uh, the worst one, I'll tell you a story, whether it was the worst one or not. But first of all, um, some people remember this more than I do, but I was in Houston once for a playoff game, Montreal Impact. Marco Chalabon went crazy on an interview with me where he just dropped all these swearing words in like a massive, massive, uh, and I didn't even know, I couldn't hear. So a lot of times when you're in, a, in, a, in another broadcast, a lot of times you have massive audio problems. So you've got people talking in you from the truck. You're trying to listen to what the person's saying. Um, but he went crazy. And then another favorite of mine was again, Montreal story. I was in Columbus covering a playoff game um, The against Columbus crew, Montreal, a drug was playing. And I'm in the corner waiting for a player. 
And as we're walking, so as they all have to walk by me. They're all walking off. Didier Drogba turns around and they just conceded a goal, I think. It was a really, they ended up losing the game in extra time. He turned around and said to every player, all Montreal and no effing interviews. We're in the room now. And I'm thinking, okay, so it's my job to get an interview and then throw it straight. So I instantly have to tell my producer, I don't think we're getting an interview here. Don't come to me. And he doesn't hear me. And then the next minute I'm like, he's like, okay, we're coming UKJ, 10 seconds. I'm like, I don't have anybody yet. The PR guy's bailed. And then I see Marco Donadell, who's who's lingering off the field, about 20 yards behind everybody else. And I know his English is very limited, but I know he's the only player who didn't hear Drogba's message. I run over to Donadell and I just just grabbed him and I'm just like, okay, I've got somebody. And he has to talk to me. So then I stick the microphone in his face and he just asked him a couple of questions and threw the break. It wasn't the great interview, but boy, oh boy, it saved my bacon. Disgrace. (laughs) A fucking disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Uh, I had a few good Drogba stories. You remember that we went to, it was actually the same year that TFC played Philly in the first playoff game. DC, it, so they actually ended up being, they played each other, Montreal, Toronto, but the mm-hmm. run, TFC played Philly and I went, it was back to back days. I went to Montreal's game in DC. Montreal had the knockout game in DC. And there was all this controversy about Drogba not being in the team. And he's gone, he's disappeared, he's left. And I was in D.C. at the old RFK Stadium where there's rats and everything running around. And uh, there's like 5,000 people on a rainy night. And it was great, actually, because Montreal scored four goals. They played brilliant. Piatti was marvelous that day. But I found Drogba. Drogba showed up and he was sitting in the press box. So I went climbing up this rickety old stairs and everything just to try and see if I could get an interview with him. I knew he wouldn't talk to me. But I went up to him and I was like, and I had a bit of a chat with him, make sure he's okay. And I was enjoying them. So I could just say on the broadcast to Vic and Sutz that, yeah, I spoke to Didier. He's here. He's happy. He's here. So at least I had that <laughs> reference point. <you> know? <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll stick with the, the theme of interview. If you uh, could have any player interview, your dream player interview, who would it be? Oh, dream player interview. Could be you can it could be at all time. Yeah, Anything. yeah. Don't worry yeah. about times. No, I'm trying to think who that could be. Um, I probably one of them I've already had. Um, Bastian Schweinsteiger was was marvelous with me. I've had three interviews with him. Probably will never interview him again now, but um, that was a dream interview, like everything and more that it ever could have been. Uh, that was, that was just wonderful. Um, dream interview. I'm trying to think. I think it would be Xavi because he's my favorite player. So yeah. if I, if I could talk to, to, to him, um, I could sit down with him for hours and talk about the stories that he's that he, that he had in his career, and um, yeah, fascinated by that guy. Uh, so yeah, I think it would be it would probably be him, just because of the way that he sees the game and talks about the game and everything. Um, I think that that would be a, a, a probably just off the top of my head, probably one that I would like. All right, one more one more interview question. Um, what? What's this like? Not and not like a halftime one where you've got thirty seconds and you're scrambling, you're grabbing somebody, um, but someone you've either had, you know, locker room, whatever, an organized one. What is the strangest player interview you've had? Not necessarily like the strangest player, but just like an interview that was like, what is happening here? Wow, that's a good question too. 
Um, do you guys want me to tell you about the Pozuelo New York New York one? Because <laughs> that was pretty strange. <laughs> that, that was pretty strange. <laughs> That comes to mind right away. I'm not going to lie. There was just like, that that was strange for sure. Uh, That was obviously one of the famous ones, right? It's not often the t-shirt gets made of an interview. Uh, So (laughs) um, that was, that was pretty amazing. Uh, I'm trying to think strange interviews I've done. Uh, No, I don't think there's been too many. You know, I've always had so much fun with them. I, I take them really seriously. I think footballers, I really strongly believe this. I, I think they have a reputation of being people that aren't very intelligent. Uh, and I think the opposite. I think they have so much that, 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 that they offer. And, and I think we're seeing that now there's this real wave and it's a really good one, particularly in the, in the, in the world that we're living in right now, that they have so much to say and so much to deliver and, and, and can really be role models away from their skill set. Uh, uh, and that's the modern day athlete, by the way. And when we're talking about, you know, racial injustice and social justice, and I think they've been massive forefront, forefront in the forefront of that and major league soccer players in, 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 in general, um, going on a bit of a tangent here, but another reason why I was really, dis- really, really disappointed about the, uh, the battle between the, the, um, the collective bargaining agreement about the, the clubs versus the players. Cause I just thought the players, deserved a tremendous amount of credit for what they were able to do. And the, the players, I think, were on the forefront of that more than the clubs. Um, so, yeah, I don't think too many strange ones. There's not been great ones sometimes. You know, you just know you've not done a great interview. Like, we used to do these interviews where, okay, uh, the the, uh, the anthems are done, uh, the team pitches are done. They're, okay, 20 seconds to kick off. Uh, all right, KJ, we're going down to you. And you get, like, you know, Justin Morrow, who's <laughs> – you know, as a gentleman as he is and one of the greatest guys in the sport. Uh, and you know, like he's got like 20 seconds before the kickoff and you've got to ask him a question. So things like that you do and you're like, we should, we're not doing that again, guys. Like it's just no point. The benefit, the, the viewer doesn't benefit. It's not good for us. Um, uh, so yeah, that, those kind of ones and that you always look back and think, what am I really doing there? You try and, you try and get what you can get out of them and keep your question as short as possible. But yeah, I suppose Pozuelo comes to mind when he's uh, effing, effing and blinding after after the uh, 90th minute penalty win in City Field. That was oh my God, still one of the funniest things ever. Just honestly, brilliant. It's uh, I, it never it never got lost on me, and I'm talking past tense now, I suppose. But if it ever has again, that literally the final whistle goes, guys, and I step right in their environment, right that's the thing. It's like, that's their environment, you know? And I have to understand that, that we all have to be open to understanding what they're going to get. You know, that's that they've just accomplished an amazing high where only those on the field and the whistle goes and you're on it. And very often, like my producers, like, are we going to break before or let's try and get a live interview before. And sometimes she does, oh, let's try and get a live interview. You want live reaction. And if you can get the reaction or you, or the PR guys can get it, or sometimes, just because I was able to do it for so long, you just have that kind of connection with a player and they see you and they just come and then, uh, okay, yeah, we've got it. We don't have to go to commercial break. But then I understand that like, you know, imagine being in a playoff game like that and imagine being someone like who wins a game in the 90th minute and literally five minutes is not even gone and you've got a microphone underneath you being and in your second language, you know, um, thankfully it was a perfect storm to what happened because it was, uh, <laughs> it was terrific, wasn't it? 
but you obviously don't have a problem like some people on our uh, cast here with uh, kit ownership. But if you could have one kit all time, which one would it be? Ooh, one kit all time. Wow, what a question. Um, yeah. I do have a few kits. I've got a load of Villa kits from years gone by. I actually found a Iniesta 2010 blue Spain kit that I treasure just because 2010 World Cup was the first one we did World Cup tonight at the score. And that was a, an amazing journey with Sid and James and Thomas and Brendan and I. Uh, so that was a really good one as well. Um, one kit. Wow. Um, hmm. I'll have to think a little bit more about that. England 1990 World Cup kit's pretty special. 19, is, yeah. 19 oh, David Platt. Oh, no, Gascoigne's 19, but David Platt yeah. was my player. So uh, one of those would be pretty sweet. You guys, uh, what about you? I want to know what your answers are to this question. Mark? <laughs> That's an entire other show. Um, in a nutshell. You get one, Mark. One. Yeah, no, it is one. Uh, Manchester United away, 91 93 the blue and white weird m pattern that was kind of on a diagonal and the main reason is because it was the first time i w i got to see manchester united on television on tsn right and that was the first kit they wore and i was like that's hideous and i love it yeah is and that that's, the sh that's the sharp one right right that's didn't correct they, yeah didn't they didn't they win the cup winners cup in that kit i feel, oh um they played in it. I remember they played Barcelona, I think, in that kit. I might be wrong, but I know they 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 won. They won. They, there was a blue one, just an all blue one that had sharp mm. on it, which I believe they won. Right, they won some honors in. But like at that time, I was like, I was twelve. Yeah, and I did not know much about you know the like I I did not inherit the game from family or anything like that. This was completely all on me. Yeah, looking up, doing my research, doing the things that a nerdy 12 year old who like sports does. And that's the conclusion. That's where I ended up pre bandwagon. I'd like to think, but I didn't even know if there was a bandwagon. Um, but yeah, that's the kit. I, I do want one of those, but that is, that's nostalgia yeah. design, everything. You mentioned, you mentioned being 12. That's, that's the way that you look at it. You can never get that back. You know, it's like, that's why my 1990 world cup, it's mm -hmm. everyone has a world cup. Everyone has their first real one, the, the way they look back on. And I find myself to this day thinking about that World Cup more than any other, watching highlights, looking at YouTube, reading books about it. You know, there was two brilliant podcasts during the pandemic about re reflecting on the 1990 World Cup, the music around it. So to, to get a little bit longer on Tony's question, really anybody's kit from the 1990 World Cup, I'm all in. Even if it's got like Frank Reichardt spitting on it or whatever, it don't matter. You know, I'm all in on it. Terry Butcher's blood kit. Yeah, exactly. Terry, <laughs> and a, qu a quick story about Terry Butcher's blood kit. Back to Kristen's point about my tournament. You guys know I had connections with Umbro Canada. So they actually produced a bunch of stuff that never made the air. No, never made the air, never made production. But they had all these ideas. And I went to their room once, this drawing room, and they, had, they produced this white England Umbro top with red blood stains all over it. Oh. It never went, to, they never made it, <laughs> no. but I got one. 
I have oh, one of those. That's yeah. excellent. Yeah. It's just a t-shirt with red blood stains all over it. And I used to wear it and hanging around. It's disgusting. But I was like, I know what that's about. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You know what that's about. It's exactly. not about what, you know, that's it. Yeah. Your neighbor thinks it's like, Oh, what a slob is like, no, you don't get it. And you're right. never going to never going to get it. So anything 1990 world cup, I'm, I'm yeah. all in on that. Out of the many kits that I would love, and they're, they're, my list is long. It's not as long as Mark's, um, but mine would be, <laughs> it's, a, it's a World Cup thing again, because it was the, uh, my, the first World Cup I remember watching even a little bit of is, is 82, but the first World Cup that I actually watched, my dad and I watched, and of course, it's the one Canada was in, was 86, and yeah. I would, you know, that was, that was huge. That was a huge thing. I, you know, I was, I was, I'd been playing soccer for a few years i was still playing soccer but this was you know getting to see your country and honestly i love that kit i love that I, I would i would happily own either of them but i think i think the red one i'm impartial to the red one nice. um but that's that's if i could afford every now and again when you see it pop up on ebay which i cannot um, i would happily take one of those so those are the ones that are important to me so yeah that's great I just don't like anything with sponsors. I hate the idea of sponsors on a jersey. So something without sponsorships and in a similar kind of way, I'm going to go with the, the Johan Cruyff uh, Holland back in the 70s when he, well, Holland's got to deal with Adidas, but he doesn't. So he's only got two stripes on his kit. That one. <laughs> no sponsors all, and a hey. fuck you to the manufacturer. Yes. It's all about that, right, with the World Cups. The other one that came to mind for me was um, I love the Argentina dark blue 2006 World Cup kit um, with Messi in 19 on the back. That was Messi's mm. first World Cup. And uh, mm. I was actually at the game in Gelsenkirchen as a fan with my wife um, uh, against Serbia Montenegro when Messi scored his first ever World Cup goal and they won 6-0. Mainly, mainly remembered for one of the most um, – famous World Cup goals ever scored by Esteban Cambiasso, which was the 34 passes, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. So I always love that kit. And Kristen talks about going on eBay, it reminded me just kind of looking for that kind of top. That would be pretty special to have. And for me, it's uh, the last time Spurs wore Hummel, the uh, 91 FA Cup semi-final. Oh, that's a great kit. I love yeah. that kit. Yeah, that's Gaza's goal against uh, Arsenal. And the first time that uh, Wembley was used for a semi-final, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I and I was at the match, so that's. Oh, were uh, you? But yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was that was that was excellent. That's easily my best memory oh, <laughs> of any match. That's, so a that's great. Uh, yeah. I so love. Hum- that, by the way, one. I love Hummel kits. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, we all. That's probably our favorite one. Spurs I love had Hummel great Hummel kits. ones in the eighties, and their, their Danish ones are just the best. Villa had good Hummel that. kits too. They did, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had a, we had a player, Kent Nielsen, who was who was Danish, and then, then we had Hummel kits as well. And um, my son, he's a he's a he loves Hamas Rodriguez, and so that Everton kit right now, that mm. blue mm. home Everton kit, oh. Yeah, I, I got the away I'm one. Sorry, but he's a Villa yeah. fan. He ain't wearing an Everton kit, but like that is pretty, <laughs> like, that's pretty special. That you've got the away one, Mark. Yeah, yeah. I've I for some reason that buttery yellow with the blue and and again Hummel. I'm just oh that, that Hummel. Just they they, gorgeous. they don't do a lot of bad kits. No, no, no. that Everton one is is magic. They're magic. fantastic. They are good looking side this year. Yeah, they are. My son just texted me and said, I can hear you. I still want hummus. 
I say I, I say he texts me. He hasn't got a phone, but he's on his iPad watching hockey. I think. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, England versus Canada. Who are you cheering for? Canada. Nice. Yes. Yeah, every time. Every time. Does it depend on the sport? Is it Great it's... Britain versus Canada in ice hockey? <laughs> Great Britain. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's uh we actually had this conversation. So 2015 Women's World Cup, we're in Vancouver and I think I don't know one of the barrades or whatever we were even dinner and Luke and I and everyone else is there having this conversation, right? Cuz Canada played England in the Women's World Cup, right? So everyone was talking about that and um yeah. It's I mean it's for me, it's Canada. It's, but as you said, maybe it is the sport. Maybe it's that underdog mentality a little bit. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, how can you not? I just go for like the fun of it. That's the only thing better than Canada beating England. Uh, yeah. It's like football would be yeah. Britain beating Canada in ice hockey. Oh, I, we play that. Fantastic. My son and I, my son and I play that on the PlayStation sometimes just for yeah. fun. Yeah. So like, you know, <laughs> he's so good at it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a top team and you're, you can be like Great Britain or Norway or someone. <laughs> even it out a little bit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So who's your KMPL team? I don't have a Canadian Premier League team, but ah. obviously um, I, I don't. I generally don't have a Canadian Premier League team. Um, I don't have an MLS team either, do I? I can't. Come on. You know that, right? So, um, but I, right I will say again, um, the Canadian Premier League. Uh, did you just say Minnesota? Is yeah. that what you said? I actually love that place. I've spent, exactly. a, lot of, I've spent a lot of time there. It's a brilliant there. team. So there you go. That's I do that. like that team. But um, to answer your question, Mark, I think you'll probably like this answer. When the Canadian Premier League launched, they um, they gave opportunities for a lot of us to get like a free kit, like a free top. And you could go on and we were there and just as, as media or whatever. And, and obviously I'm not going to get one for myself. So I got one for my son with his name and number, his, his name and, and a number on the back of, of and, and he could pick one. And um, yeah, uh, I'll tell you, it's orange. Your kid's a legend. There you go. Um, <laughs> of uh, a multiple choice question of the Liberty, the taco or the one in San Saputo, which bell do you hate more? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be Taco, um, only because uh, as a racing fan, um, <laughs> IndyCar fan, and big Scott Dixon fan, anybody who wants to Google Scott Dixon and Taco Bell, you'll find out. But Scott Dixon, legendary IndyCar driver, once got held up in a Taco Bell drive-through. Oh, uh, so uh, that's the only, that's why I remember. Wow. Ta- that's how I remember Taco Bell. Yeah, if I, I was said, about. I, I didn't even hear your other one. As soon as I heard Taco Bell, I'm like, that's the winner. That's fine. I, I mean, the Liberty's got a big old crack in it. So how good could that be? But that that yeah. is a legit response. That's a cl- that's that, I, I, I accept that. There you go. All right, another very very serious question. Don't believe you. Um, no, it's not. Well. <laughs> Who bakes a better pie? Your former broadcast partner, James Sharman, or your wife, Jenny? My wife, Jenny. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Does he uh, try to steal recipes to, from her? Does, does he say, say that. Oh, Jenny, I need help with this? I think James is doing all right, actually, but he could do if he wanted to. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, he's doing fantastic, which is great. And uh, 
But no, there's only one winner there, isn't there? You know that. <laughs> <laughs> easy answer. That you went easy Sorry. on me that one, yeah, didn't you? A little, 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 little lob for that you. That was a, that was like we're midfield partners, and it was a sideways little pass. That was, wasn't it? It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> easy one. Performance. That's what we're going for here. Yeah. <laughs> hey, easy pass. Duncan to change that. Yeah. yeah so, so moving on from someone you love to someone you hate, to Shadow Freud. What like football player? current or past do you just hate and actually enjoy when he fails and for me steven gerrard when he slipped against chelsea fantastic sweden not qualifying for the world cup or anything when Zlatan was playing and then immediately doing so after he retired fantastic who's your player that you you would love to see bad things happen to <sighs> Hmm. I don't really have, honestly don't have one. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, Birmingham City is an obvious answer, isn't it? Like, that's, sure. that's fine. If I can go all in on them, that's easy, you know? Um, so, and it's funny because Stevie played for Birmingham, didn't he? So that was a bit of an awkward situation for us when we first started to get to know each other well. But Stevie being Stevie, it didn't make it hard. It was he's, he's a legend. Uh, I don't really know, really. Player that I didn't like. Um Wow, what a question that is. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, no, I'm not him, no. Someone who just gets hyped up to ridiculous levels and ugh, I don't buy into this and you, you want to see that balloon get punctured a little bit. Okay, that's a little different, right? So if you're thinking about a player that gets hyped up, there's no, there's no one I really hate it. Um, so you, you think about players that get blown up to a point where you don't see it. Now you're talking a little bit different. Like you're talking a bit like that's genuine, like analysis a little bit for me. Um, I always thought that way about Beckham, to be honest, you know. Excellent answer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of time for him as a guy, a lot of time for him, a tremendous bloke, and um, great to see him and his love for MLS. And, and I'm glad that he's hopefully is all in uh, in MLS, which he wasn't all in as a player. Um, that's just obvious. Uh, so, but I never really saw the hype, to be honest. And um, Luke tried to stir it up a little bit at TSN when we had the the vote at the end of last season for the top 25 players of all time. Remember they did this in MLS, the top 25 oh. players of MLS, and I yeah. had a vote, and I didn't include Beckham, and he was just like. All right, we're going to do a hit on this, and uh, we got two questions. Uh, KJ, anything about anything about your ballot you want to talk about? I'm like, I'm like, well, I didn't put Beckham in. Right, right, we're doing that. Right, we're doing that. <laughs> and then he goes, goes, how can you not put David Beckham in? So I didn't put him in because for me, could, it just wasn't could, could 25, you 25 other players that were better than him? comfortably. Yeah. So yes. this is a guy who played for six seasons and made one best eleven. So and he's David Beckham. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably that guy. But I don't, I mean, I obviously no bad will towards him. As I said, great player and, um, you know, good, a very good player, not a great player. Maybe I'll leave it at that. That's fair, fair enough. Uh, moving out of football, Oasis or Blur? Or other from back in the day? Oasis or Blur, the answer is Oasis for me. Um, Correct. And better than both, I'll go with a band not many people know, Cast. Yeah, all right. Yeah, sure. that's one of my favorites. I, I saw... Obviously, people don't know about mm -hmm. them, but Oasis for me, better than Blur, yeah. Okay. I saw Cast play in Toronto in 1996. 
that the first time I was over here and it right. was one of the, I think it was at least Palace maybe and he said right. yeah you can tell the crowd here is pretty much states half English people that are just over mm. here on vacation same right. as I was but uh, right. yeah, they uh, they did some good stuff yeah there you go there you mm. go all right you saw a few of these for your first few years working uh, the T- TFC beat former TFC manager who you think should have, should be given a second chance managing in football again? Ooh. Hmm. Chris Cummings? Yeah. Okay. We always have wondered, you know, that what happened to the story yeah. of Chris Cummings? Yeah, really a big fan of his. Yeah. I really was. And uh, terrific coach. You know, a really good coach. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with him. Marcus. Oh, sorry. Have you opened your heart to the Belarusian Premier League? And if so, what <laughs> club's badge are you about to get tattooed on your chest? Providing, of course, you haven't done so already. I have not. No. Do I need to? <laughs> do I need to Google this? <laughs> the whole. The I know whole the story. I know the story. Yeah. I haven't watched. YouTube. I haven't watched a single minute. Sorry well, to disappoint you. It's a delightfully collect. I would imagine you probably got about ten kits from there, though. Just one. Okay. Um, I, should, uh, I should get. I should go get mine. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. Kristen's coming right as well. Really? Dina will rest yeah. till I die or until this pandemic ends. Um, okay. Uh, who wins an arm wrestle match between Danny DiCio and Mr. Caldwell? Wow. I saw them chirping each other on Twitter recently about something like this. Wasn't the physical about elbows and all that stuff? Um, I think Deech probably. Deech is, I think Deech, oh, that's a nice kit. Yeah, sorry. Oh, everyone's listening to this is going, what are you talking about? But yeah, that is a nice kit. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, oh, it's class. It's it's yeah. beautiful. It's got a little bit of Rayo Valladolid in a little bit in there, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That is really, oh, it's got the Belarusian Airlines sponsor on it as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for everybody who can fly to Belarus right now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, for better, for worse, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll probably go with Deech, uh, just because, uh, and I say this in all the lovable way, that Stevie's tough, but I just don't think he'd be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> so to throw in a, just an extra late challenger, Jason DeVos comes along. Can he take Dickio? Probably, yeah. He probably could, because I think he would be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry, no. <Yeah. laughs> all right. Um, for the very last thing, it's so not football related at all, but why not? What are you binge watching? Um, football related? How many times have you watched the Pele documentary already? Yeah, good question. So I actually fell asleep watching it last night because uh, that was not nothing to say about the Pele documentary. It's just I was just so tired. Uh, but it only came out yesterday, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I will watch that again. Um, it's funny because we're playing show and tell right now. So nobody else can hear that they'll see this, right? So I'll show you this quickly as I pull up my uh, bookshelf. So 2006, um, I produced an interview with Pele and, and Sid, 6-0. I don't know if maybe you guys follow Sid. He, he, he put a tweet out there recently about a picture. Did he not about interviewing Pele? Uh, I actually have another picture that I've saved for him as well of him interviewing Pele um, from my interview with him that I produced that segment. And Pele was great that day. And prior to the interview, I bought Pele's book, which I've got many books on my back of my, over my shelf. And of course, you do interviews, you never ask for an 
autographs ever. And uh, Pele started chatting with us afterwards and he could see me kind of holding the book and sits like, go ask him. I'm like, no, no, no. So um, anyway, somebody who was with Pele was like, you should get Pele to sign the book. And Pele hears it. Give me a book. Give me a book. And so I have Pele's autobiography. And inside it says that to Christian, all the best. Pele. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's wow. a pretty special. That brilliant. Yeah. That so that's, I'm very happy. lucky to have that <laughs> indeed. Uh, so that will be watching Pele's documentary for sure. I can't wait it's to see all the way through it. Disappointing he doesn't go for the full name for his autographs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's true. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that, that that's my Pele nice. story. That wasn't the question, though, was it? What am I no, binge what watching? Binge watching? What am I binge watching? Um, spending far too much time on the phone right now, so um, <laughs> not watching too much at the moment. At the minute, uh, uh, what am I binge watching? I'm quite I'm quite thankful that my serious radio show has since been moved to seven till ten again because over the last few weeks we were earlier, which meant that after my serious radio show ended. Um, the two lovely ladies in my home were watching for their own comical relief, The Bachelor. So that <laughs> that, that became quite funny to keep an eye on that, uh, as I as my father would once call it, uh, chewing gum for the eyes. Uh, what, uh, so that was kind of thing. But uh, binge watching. What a great way of putting that. Yeah. Uh, what else? Have Can we steal that for the ears for this show? Yeah, go for it. Still, <laughs> take take whatever you want. Chewing gum for the ears. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, we watch a lot of sports in our house, and I want to get into some of the shows. Um, have you guys seen the Queen's Gambit? Brilliant. Is it? Brilliant. Did watch it. Yeah. 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 The okay. first couple episodes just just it takes just keep going. Okay. The end. I'm a chess because I like my chess. So then I, keep watching. Chess.com. I have a profile. I play regularly on there when I can. So I love my <laughs> chess. Uh, yeah, I got back into it lately. Uh, so I kind of think like it's a good way of switching off the brain sometimes from my other side of the brain that I do too much work with. Uh, so yeah, I want to watch that. That's for sure. Uh, but other than that, um, we've uh, we've been binge watching a lot of like family Disney movies, I suppose, and then. Uh, with my son being in here, a lot of NHL games. That's what we binge watch. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, that you know, you, we've sort of asked you what's next, and you don't really know yet. So um, we look forward to finding out. And unless is there something you want to share? No, there really isn't. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, I will share that I've really enjoyed this and I really uh, appreciate you guys having me on to chat. And um, it's been honestly a pleasure to have this kind of conversation. These conversations are important. You guys talked a lot about, and I've talked a lot about on this show about moving things forward. And you've been very complimentary about things with me, but these kind of shows are really important. Uh, really important because these are the shows that can ultimately push people forward as well. And I hope many people are listening to that, understand that. And then there's lots of them out there and, you know, having that, that local soccer love is important and pushing it forward. And um, as I said, it's never simply about the games. It can't be because if it is, uh, we're talking about what 34 to 40 days of a 365 day year, it has to be more. And that's why shows like this are so important. Oh, thank you. thank you very much. My pleasure. Yeah, so, but this is our show for this week. And again, thank you so much. It really has. It's been such a great conversation. And um, 
throwing stuff back and forth and hearing stories and getting getting you know your opinions and things like that it's it's been a, it's been a real pleasure so thank you again no problem thanks everybody and uh maybe you can get that title sponsorship from hummel <laughs> dare to dream kids to us yeah exactly yeah that's well, the way to no sponsor a duncan won't wear it yeah exactly <laughs> you can take like felt tip pen you know or whatever and just like <laughs> it could still be a nice hole yeah. kit well you uh, just get he might take one of the arrows off like for yeah, just, just you know, a couple of slabs of duct tape and yeah, uh, yeah. i just, I'll just uh, get the international ones and then you're usually okay without like, this yes. one so, exactly yeah, usually all yeah. right can't go wrong with a good danish hummel kit exactly oh so beautiful yeah uh, well, please do join us next week as we return to our usual malarkey-laden ways. We're going to talk uh, TFC season seaholder privacy breach. That was fun. The Canadian Women National Team at the She Believes Cup, some new MLS kits, the latest from the CanPL, which TFC players are going into which careers, and more. Um, the entire Vocal Minority podcast panel uh, has joined us today uh, on the Twitters at Duncan D. Fletcher. Hello, and thank you again, Christian. It's been a pleasure. Um, out there on the tweet machine at Malarkey FC, Tony Walsh. Thanks for joining us. Hope everyone enjoys. And anyone who was worried that this wasn't going to be as long as our usual show, you're now breathing a sigh of relief. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, on the tweet at Kitnerd Mark with a K, not a Q, Mr. Mark Hinckley. Thank you very much to all of our uh, Patreon supporters. We do appreciate it. Uh, we got a merch thing on our Zazzle shop. Uh, you can find on our website. Uh, KJ, it has been an absolute delight to have you here. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Mark. And now if I ever get any kits, I know where to, to deliver them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't joke with me, Christian. Don't uh, Obviously, Christian Jack can be found on Twitter at Christian Jack. Um, and I, of course, am your host, Chris Knowles. I have KZ Knowles on the internet. Yes, the entire internet. And until next week, Canada, get used to it. Goodness.